Welcome back, everyone. This is a special episode today. Um, in fact, I've just travelled back from seeing this young man himself, Mr. Owen Fleetwood Jenkins. Um, fantastic engineer, fantastic human being, top guy. Recorded um, my new trio album, trio JDM album, which is just we just finished, we just mixed, and I've just driven back afternoon Sunday evening um, and this was recorded uh, on the 9th 8th sorry 8th of August when um, me and Jamie Taylor and Martin Longhorn were down recording with the trio went down on the 6th set up and did, did, did uh, set up on the 6th and 7th and 8th recorded all day both days got um, 10 tracks recorded in fact we got seven done on the first day and uh, all great sounds amazing absolutely brilliant mix just finished the mix in today i went down to um south wales down to um studio wz and yeah um um i think it's actually studio studios actually studios i think that's how you pronounce it anyway um yeah, so just got back. I'm a bit all over the place, but I wanted to get this intro basically um, recorded and then um, I'm going to splice it onto the beginning of this interview. So I'll do the housekeeping stuff now. Um, just a few usual things. Thank you to my uh, friends at Johnny Roadhouse uh, for all your musical needs. And um, yeah, drumsticks, stick heads, all the usual kind of stuff. If you're in Manchester area, go down on Oxford Street or Manchester, down in the Royal Northern College of Music. Johnny Roadhouse Music's been there a long time, and um, my good friend Lee Mullen works there. And yeah, go and go and say hello. Say you listen to this podcast. Um, blah blah blah. Patreon, if you fancy doing the Patreon thing, you can find Drums in the Shed, Dave Walsh Podcast, is somewhere on Patreon. If you go to the Podomatic website for this podcast, there's links on there. Um, you can donate if you want via PayPal. Very simple. It's all on the Podomatic website. So it's podomatic.com, just search for Dave Walsh Drums in the Shed or Dave Walsh Podcast, you'll find it. Very simple. On the main podcast page, a couple of links on there. And, um, yeah, what can I say about this today? Mega, I'm so excited about this. I'm so glad I've got it done. I've been talking about getting it done since 2019. And that was the year I started this podcast, October 2019. And the next time I went down to see um, Owain, I talked about doing this pod, doing an interview for a podcast because I started the podcast and I really wanted to interview him because I found his, the conversations that I had with him at the time when we first met very very interesting very fascinating and uh, and again this weekend I was there I was there uh, yesterday and today and um, it's just, again fascinating conversations um, and it's great down there beautiful part of the world I'm very lucky with the weather we had terrible weather and I've just got back from Kuwait I've been in Kuwait for a couple of weeks my partner's just moved there I've been over there. It was 50 degrees nearly over there. It was horrific. Um, not for me, I'm afraid. But yeah, basically, um, got back from there 
on Thursday. I think it was Thursday. Yeah, I'm a bit, I'm a bit all over the place. And then went down to see Owen yesterday on Saturday. So, yeah, drove down and got up early Saturday morning. It's about a five hours drive. And uh, spent the, the afternoon and evening yesterday mixing for the tracks. And then today we did the other six. We always start slow, which I, I was interested in this process, but it always it was always like the first track is the one they spend most of the time on because this trio album is very consistent sound. <clears throat> There's only a couple of tracks that had some slightly different guitar stuff going on. Drums-wise, it was identical throughout. The whole vibe is the same vibe. So getting that sort of analysing the kit and looking at the kit and stuff, you know, getting all that sorted out was um, was key. And then, we yeah, we got it all mixed. So... Um, but yeah, when we were down doing the album, I'd asked about doing this interview and he'd agreed to it eventually. He's quite a shy young man. And, um, yeah, basically he was, um, yeah, he was not up for doing it originally because he was, his whole thing was, he didn't have anything, he didn't think he had anything really interesting to say. And I was like, no, you've got lots of interesting things to say, especially to drummers. And just the premise of this is what I, what I call, you know, from the other side of the glass, so, you know, in the studio, you're on one side of the glass, drummers, when we're on the one side of the, the whatever. Ironically, it's his studio, you're actually underneath because um, the, the control room's upstairs. But yeah, so that was the idea was to talk about what things are like from his perspective when you're, when you're recording drums. And he's very into recording drums. So sit back and enjoy this. It's really, really interesting. It's about an hour and a half long, so he'll have a nice vibe. And uh, yeah. Welcome to this uh, interview with Owen Fleetwood Jenkins. So this has been this has been a while coming, hasn't it? It has. It's going to be it's going to be an hour and a half of silence, isn't it? That's hour what and a half. Yeah. Oh, at least an hour and a half. Is it? You're like, oh my god. Oh, she's got my wine. <laughs> no, yeah. Well, if you want to get a drink, I'm good. You sure? Thank you. Yeah, that's why I got a drink. You see. Yeah. So it's been a, uh, a long day. Yeah, yeah. But most, yeah, the ones I've done before have all they've, they've all been like planned for an hour, and they've okay. ended up being two and a half. <laughs> wow! Well, I'm someone of few words. You're a man of few words. But we'll give it a go. We'll give it a go. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's it's been like we've been. So it's been like how many days? I got here on. So just a bit of background. I always feel like I'm speaking to. I know who I'm speaking to because about four people listen to this, and they're all good friends of mine. You know. So. Um, um, and I'll do, I'll, and I'll have done a long, elaborate introduction, by the way. So, okay. uh, but I, there are things about you that I don't know. Okay. So I won't get too personal. Okay. That's all right. But um, the context of this visit was an album which we've been talking about doing for a while on and off. Mm-hmm. We've well, we been talking about doing a couple of albums, but this was one of the projects. And finally, I managed to get down here, which is a bit of a drive. We're yeah. in Pembrokeshire. Yeah, a secret location. West Wales. <laughs> yeah. Impossible <laughs> to find. Impossible to find unless you have the Google Maps pin, which I now have the Google Maps pin. I can't even say that. Google Maps pin. Yeah, yeah. But it's a beautiful location. And you've been here how long have you been here now? We bought this at the end of 2017. Oh right, okay. And the studio opened January 2019. Yeah. January 2019. Because I was first here in August. 2019. 2019, yeah, yeah, that was like my third booking, I think. Your third booking, wow! And I, th- yeah, I thought because you've, you've been doing this, the studio thing for, yeah, yeah, yeah. So before here, where were you before here? Before here, I was at my parents' 
dairy farm where I grew up. Right, okay. Because I was a, a noisy child growing up. Yeah. We converted a little shed right. for me to rehearse with bands oh, when I was in school. And you were, what were you playing then? So I, a piano player. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, 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 because I've seen a picture. Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, and yeah. then that grew into a studio, really. Oh, right, okay. <clears throat> and everybody, all everybody was probably going there, all socialising, and yeah, yeah, it's good place. It, was, to hang it was the place, yeah, yeah, and to be on a farm, yes, with all the other, yeah, yeah. It's where I'd have been if I'd have been down here because of the machinery. Essentially, because of the machinery, the music would have been like an extra. <laughs> yeah, that's good. And on that yeah. studio, yeah, because it was basically attached to the milking parlour. So and there's big engines in the milking. Yeah, the milking yeah, room. yeah, serious. So yeah, yeah. Between four and six every day. Right. Four and six a.m. and four and six p.m. That's the milking time. No recording. No recording. Yeah, yeah. Because that was the time when the cows are being um, yeah. relieved of their um, of their milk of their essential item. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. more so, it was the engines are so noisy. Yeah. You can do any recording. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless yeah. it was editing. Yeah. Yeah. So we used to do all the listening back between four and six. Oh, that's oh, okay. In not not in the morning though. No, no, no. And that didn't really matter too much. No, no, no. Especially not at that age. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny because around here, the first time I came here, the the first thing I remember seeing over opposite the gate was all the cows. But they're not here. They don't seem to be around at the moment. They're, see, they're, they're over there, actually. I saw some over there today on the other side of the studio, the other side of the graveyard. Well, this side of the road is one farm, this side of the road is a different farm. Oh, they're different... All right, OK. Yeah. Right, right. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. But it's, yeah, it's so, it's so it's beautiful here and, you know, big shout-out. I know you're very busy, but, you know, anybody that is into recording and wants to get away somewhere that's away from the distractions everything you know the musician's life is like trying to find headspace and time to do things properly and uh, when I first came in 2019 um, which was a project with someone called Tom McRae who you all know about because I talk about uh, Tom from time to time I've worked with for a long time and a singer songwriter called Lowry Evans who lives locally in Newport Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Correct. yeah. And I've done a few other things with now with Laurie, which has been great, a real privilege. And Lee Mason, a, a partner, and who's a, who's a producer, isn't he? An engineer in yeah. front of house, and you've done, you've worked with Lee, and yeah. and, and you do front of house engineering as well, don't you? Yeah, I used to, yeah. Yeah, you used to, yeah, and you got quite busy here, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, so I was lucky enough through Tom met Laurie through a songwriting course or like a retreat i mm, think and they think so. and they met on the last day oh. the story is yeah because they were writing separately i think tom was one of the kind of uh one of the mentors and i think laurie was i don't know the whole story but they ended up working together at the end on because they ended up just sort of getting on they wrote this song together and then in 2019 tom sort of contacted me and richard hammond the bass player i play with a lot and said i've got this bit of a project thing that I'm doing and there's this great studio and then I was like you know when you when you go in a studio the first thing you do is you go on the internet and you look at the gear you know and uh and I always remember Tom saying he said oh it's um he's a, he's a lovely guy called Owen and uh he's got some very nice drums mm-hmm. and then we had we had a conversation didn't we about kind of the drum thing and I was like I'm just going to drive down here 
in an MX-5 <laughs> with, with a snare drum and some cymbals. That was where I turned up here, didn't yeah, I? Yeah. Because I was just going to use... And uh, and it was it was mega, just like a, the whole experience was a mega. It was a very difficult. It was a very difficult time as well because my father was very very ill at that time, just before he passed away, and so there was like all this kind of conflicting stuff going on, you know. Um, but it was like I, it was a it was a very kind of healing sort of week or so of, um, of of music making for lots of reasons. One, it was working with some great people musically. Second, I got to meet you yeah. and come here and work with you and talk with you about drums and stuff and learn a lot from you, which is always a great thing, you know. Yeah. And uh, anyway, I feel like I've kind of talked enough, blah, 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 blah. But one of the, th- one of the reasons why I wanted to get together was you said something to me about vinyl records and Remo Drumskins. Oh, did I? Yeah, and this is really contentious because I'm endorsed by Daddario, and Daddario... Aaron Evans. Aaron Evans, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we had a long conversation about Drumskins, didn't we? Yeah. And you said to me, you said, well, the thing about Remo is that... What did you say? Well, <laughs> I, I've been through them all, I've tried them all. You've tried them all. We had a conversation today about Aquarium as well, didn't we? We were talking yeah. about... Yeah, yeah. I think there's very strong plus points... There's pros and cons on all of them. Yes. But yeah, I came to yeah. the conclusion that Remo just sound like records. The sound that everybody's trying to find. Is That's what, what you, you hear yeah. on yeah, your yeah. favourite records. Yeah. It's a Remo, isn't it? It's a Remo. And, on, and, then, and during that week I was here, I, was here, I think I was here about eight or nine days, I can't remember exactly. But the thing I remember, was, well, there's loads of things I remember, but the morning was poached egg on toast, which we had today. We've had it two days on the trot, and it's mega, mega. The best eggs in the UK from your dad. Yeah. And, um, and the other thing was that in the evening you had your record player on and you had it on in the morning actually mm-hmm. you had the vinyl on you know and that was where the conversation you know and it's no better kind of place to be sat in you know you've got a nice hi-fi yeah. and you're into your vinyl and you know and to be sort of sitting listening to some great music and, and having that penny dropping moment as to why I always feel you know I feel torn because the thing about Evans is we were talking about this today about the pre-international thing, we mean about how they go on shelves. You yeah. know, my sonors, I struggle with my 16s particularly, and my 13 Tom. Um, I took aquariums off and I couldn't get them off the shelves. You know, aquariums. <laughs> yeah, they were like like pushed onto the shell, like but the Evans just go on really easy because they're sort of slightly oversized on the colours, yeah. aren't they? But um, I feel like Evans last a bit longer <clears throat> as well than the Remos. Yeah, the the the, the way they made the heads, it's sprayed by is it like little pellets or something? They spray onto okay. the plastic. It's not coated, is it? I, I feel with Remo though, the the coating quality goes up and down a bit. Yeah, yeah, it will be stock market linked apparently. Okay, but I did notice that if your drums are co- constant temperature, yeah, the the coating lasts. Miles and miles better. Oh, really? Yeah. When oh, my old that. studio, yeah, heating wasn't great, so yeah. temperature go up and down, and I'd go through heads in weeks. Oh, really? And I put heating in there, kept it eighteen degrees, ah. and my my heads lasted months. Wow, that's interesting. I'd be changing them before I'd even worn through coating. Yeah, from other way. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The coating would stay good. Right. But I guess as a gigging drummer, yeah, which I'm not, but you are, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which drums from well, yeah, we'll get into that. In a yeah, minute, but yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Temperature goes up and down in the car and stuff. In the car and, and on gigs and, you know, during seasons, you know, venues. And, you know, the thing I've struggled with in the last few years as I've got a little bit older is my hands get drier in the winter and I have mm. no grip. Okay. And it's like a nightmare. You know, the summer, everything's better because my hands are warmer. And as I've got a bit older, my hands get colder, easier as I've got older, you know. And and I really struggle with grip. <clears throat> so mm-hmm. I was after that, I remember talking to a, a drummer friend of mine, Luke Flowers, about it, and he said, oh, I've got some, I've got some hemp moisturiser. And he, yeah. said, that, he said, that gets me going, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to ask, have you tried it? No, I, but I've used normal moisturiser. Okay. In, in the drum shed at home, where I normally record this, and where I have all my stuff, I've got, I just put a bit of moisturiser just on fulcrum, you know, on both hands, and it does help, you know. But it, it, I really feel the temperature thing on myself. But that, this Craviotto snare I was talking about, which we didn't end up using, actually, because we, we'll get onto that in a minute, but <laughs> um, the Gary Noonan thing ended up being the, the snare of choice, didn't it? It did. Um, but the Crav seems to be very sensitive to temperature because it's solid shell. Okay, yeah. You know, and and also there's a drummer called Steve Hanley who actually Martin who's recording us today Martin Longhorn great organist they have he has a band with uh, Steve Hanley he's a really good drummer as a guy I was very lucky enough to teach at Leeds actually he's a great player and he's around the scene now, in Leeds now and stuff mm-hmm. and he's got Craviotto kit and he says solid shell solid shell you know bass drum everything and he says when he leave, if he leaves it in the car or whatever he says it's real nightmare you know it changes but it comes back but he, he does find the tuning <clears throat> or it, the drums seem to choke up you know something seems to change and I, I've noticed that with the crab you know studio so, drums maybe mm, yeah yeah but I use the crab for everything apart from this recording actually but all my gigs I take it everywhere and I have done since I've <clears throat> since I bought it in 2000 and it's 2009 drum bought it in 2011 off Barry Race yeah and I've used it and he, his thing when I bought it because it's a custom shop he was like you buy it to use it but you know it's worth a lot of money yeah look after it look after it or try and look after it yeah yeah, yeah. I've got a few so, of those things here you have we'll get into that in a minute yeah. and, and this is typical because I've already gone off on a tangent and I didn't mean to so we were at the beginning yeah. <laughs> the cow shed the cow shed <laughs> the dairy farm yeah and then so because what interests me yeah the story your story interests me you know about how you got into this but about your interest in drums particularly mm-hmm. but actually as I've got to know you a bit more I realise that you're interested in all the collection of instruments every time I come here you've got more keyboards because obviously you're a keyboard player anyway piano player mm-hmm. but the drums you seem to have settled a bit more down on I have settled you got rid of a few bits but you bought another snare drum which I've had the pleasure of playing today yeah, yeah. well I think moving to this studio yeah I kind of found the thing I was searching for really I right. was looking for it in a drum kit but it actually oh, it was right. not only in the drum kit it was in the room as well in the room yeah 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 and the, the ability to kind of what's uh, as a kind of sound thing or a storage yeah. thing or a, as a sound thing as a sound thing right but yeah. also i i went through a lot of drum kits early on yeah of vintage kits and i feel like i found yeah what i need for now yeah yeah so what was what was the journey to where you are now because i don't because i know about some of the kits and i haven't played any of them this time because i brought my own drums this time but normally i would 
I would come and play one particular kit, you know. Yes. Yeah. So my first drum kit was Gretsch Round Badge. What sizes? So this was like rock sizes or big band sizes. 22, 22 by 14. 14, yeah. 13. 13, yeah. And then a 16. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But that was a, it was like a funny year <clears throat> where the bass drum was three play. Oh, right. And the Rima heads fit good. Yeah. And then the toms are six play. And they, yeah. Even though they were, it was made as a kit. Yeah, and it not was, pretty it was, international. No, it no. was like a crossover year yeah. where they had bits of, yeah. It was a gorgeous kit, but the Remo heads didn't fit yeah. the toms very well, so my tuning range wasn't great. Yeah, because you kind of get them on the shell, aren't you? And then they just don't, they don't tighten, when you tighten them, they don't loosen, do they? No. That's the problem, isn't it? Yeah, it's a nightmare, isn't it? Again, Evans were better for that. The, yeah, because the collars are different sizing, yeah. Aquarian yeah. do a American vintage That's, range. Yeah, we were talking about that today. And yeah. they fit those old six-play Gretsch round badges. Oh, uh, do they? Right, okay. But it wasn't the sound I was after. No. So with no. a heavy heart, that kit had to go. But did you make money out of it? I think it did, yeah. Well, yeah. I think I, I... You didn't lose money. I sold it for the same as I bought it, yeah. but I kept some old K hi-hats oh, the hi-hats that came with free it. with it. Yeah, the ones I played today. Yeah. They came free with it. <laughs> yeah, one of them's got to be a 1920s. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, most people listening will be... You'll know what that means. Yeah, yeah. And the other one, I, th- I was told it was a forties A. It may, may well be. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw Richard. I was saying to you today. I saw Richard Newby recently, and he he corrected some of the the Zildjian timeline stuff. I'd got slightly wrong in my head. The USA stuff actually. The the, the years are quite different. There's 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 older stuff that was made in the USA as well as the super old stuff that was Constantinople and okay. you know twenties and thirties and yeah, yeah, which I was always. Because all the, the people, all the jazz drummers out there, you know you are, um, they're all talking about the 50s Ks because uh-huh. it's Tony Williams, you know. It's right. that sound, the Philly Joe Jones thing, but the Tony Williams ride particularly, you know. It's, it's a ride, that's a ride that people are looking for and they'll never find it. It, <laughs> does, it doesn't exist. <laughs> but it doesn't, does it? Because it, it's him. Yeah. And it's that time, and it's those rooms, you know, and it's all that stuff, you know. And uh, but people are searching for that sound. Well, that's and that's a beautiful thing. I like the like the idea of people always searching, you know, yeah. you know. And it's and that's the thing. We like with the drum heads thing you were talking about. That like, kind of there's a warmth that sort of sixties and seventies warmth when recordings started to become more. And there's something about that snare drum sound and the tom sound as this kind of warmth about it, which you're searching for all the time if you're into that kind of music. But <clears throat> so you got rid of that. Yes. Kept the K hi hats. Yes. Which were an odd pair. Yeah. Slightly different sizes, aren't they? Yeah, the old ones slightly yeah. bigger. Yeah, yeah. I played them today and they're beautiful. They work there, don't they? Yeah. Really beautiful. Yeah. Really yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Odd odd hi hats doesn't matter actually. No. You know, a lot of people. I mean, I'm very anal about you know everything has to be, and I, and you know I think I do myself. You know, I think I I rule myself out of sound options by being you know because you know there's that is it called the the jelly bean kit, isn't it? 
you know when you have you make a kit up of different yeah and they're all different Frank, Frankenstein kind of kit Frankenstein kit yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and I and I, you know I think I'd do much better if I was more into the jelly bean idea because you when I recorded here first time we were jelly bean and all sorts of stuff because we I yeah. was using Ludwig Slingerland bass drum with the Rogers toms with the yeah yeah yeah, yeah. whatever fits the, the song really the song exactly yeah well, yeah well kicks and snares are the things we swap out yes moving from songs to songs normally yeah 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 we'll get on to that in a minute because okay. i talk about that because that's the really interesting stuff yeah. to talk about you know about what uh, about the relationship between the funny thing the thing that's fun about this studio as well is where we're sat which is a control room it's a beautiful space the drums normally are right below us mm. so you can't see i can't see you when i'm no. recording you know, so you have this, the converse, it's always a conversation, it's always a voice. Yes. Yeah, yeah, well, there's a lot of the time in studios, you, you've got that visual, you know, thing. But um, So you got rid of that and then replaced it with... I think next came... And that wasn't here, was that the old... No, the old studio. The old studio, yeah, yeah. Then I had, I think it was a Leedy. Oh, right. Like, oh, 41, maybe 1941. Wow. An early one, it was gorgeous, very flat, like bearing edges. Bearing edges, yeah, really, like, yeah. like rest a can of Coke on it. Wow. Yeah. So they must have been quite sort of dead sounding or...? Yes. Again, I didn't get under the tuning on those. No, no. I thought, I thought it would be my dream kit, but it wasn't. Yeah, but, it, but meet your heroes, get over it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, okay. What sizes were that then? That was again 22, 13, 16. Oh, right. So it's all standard. All yeah. big, bigger stuff. Yeah. Really. And a snare with it? I did not know. There's no, no snare with it. Because that's the that's the thing people keep now, don't they? Yeah. They don't tend to be that interested in the kits. They tend, it's the snare drums that are, you know, doing big money. But that was a gorgeous mm. kit. It came with all the original 40s hardware as well. Oh, right. All the matching Leedy hardware. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a bit of a museum piece, that one. Yeah. And did you pay? Did you get that for a decent? One? I got that from Rusty Drums, actually. Oh right, so okay. But yeah, paid yeah. a fair bit for that one. Yeah, but it was worth it because it's. It was, yeah, yeah. It's quite the piece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But luckily, when I decided I wasn't very happy with that, yeah, <laughs> Rusty got in touch with me again, saying that someone in Europe somewhere really wanted that drum kit. Wanted it, yeah. So yeah. I took it back and swapped it for a. This, the, got my gold Slingland, which is twenty two by twelve. Oh right, yeah, thirteen sixty. Yeah, twenty two by twelve. The yeah, yeah. Gene Cooper Deluxe. Yes. Outfit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is one of my favourite kits. Yeah, yeah. It's a great bass drum. That. Yeah, yeah. Really good. Yeah, so that would have been yeah factory. Yeah. Twenty two by twelve. Twenty two by twelve. The dream size, yeah, yeah. I talk about my because my Sonos twenty two, but it's been cut down and it's amazing to play. Just shallower bass drums, but um, yeah, it's funny because I had a, I bought a, a Sonor kit, a um, oh god, what was the name of it? Sixty um, Sonor. They've got a can't remember the name of the lug the lug types. Oh, God. name's gone out of my head. Anyway, that kit I bought off him and he completely restored it back to natural wood. And when I when I I put it on eBay to get rid of it, and this guy contacted me who wanted to originally buy it off Joe. And oh, he, wow. he was in Sweden. So yeah, Joe sorted out the carriage for me because he was gonna this guy was gonna buy it originally anyway. Okay. So I so this guy paid me for the kit and then he paid Joe 
to, to carriage you over. So I just took the kit back to Joe. And, and, and Joe sold it me for a very nice price because he took all the heads off because he had all Remo heads on it. And I was using Evans. And I said, I can't play Remo. I have to have, if I'm doing gigs, I've got to have the Evans, you know. So he knocked me 250 quid off this kit because he took all the heads off, all the oh, bass wow. drum heads and everything, you know. So it was a lot of money to him, those heads. They're all brand new heads. And he had calves, he had the um, fibre skins and nice heads, you know. And the ambassador, um, the vintage ambassadors he had on there. So, uh, but when I sold it, I sold it for like 1,200 quid, you know, because it had gone up in value. The older Sony. Yeah, the 60s. Yeah. It was Star, what are they uh, called? Star, I can't remember the name of them. It's going to do me, I didn't know, it doesn't matter. Yeah, they were very popular, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, and that was, a, but it was a 20 by, um, 20 by 16 bass drum. I think it was 20 by 16, but it was 13 and 16 toms. Mm-hmm. So I was never that happy with the toms i'm not a 13 by and 13 and 16 fan generally okay i'm more into 12s i don't mind 16s but i don't like to pair a 13 with a 16 yeah 13 with a 14 is all right oh yeah yeah which is with the with well with the sonar that's why i bought when i bought that kit it had 12 13 13 14 16 floor toms you see and 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 i and with that, the 13 rack and the 14 floor tom sound great together, but the 12 and the 14 floor tom or the 12 and the 16 sound great anyway. You know, but that's uh, mm. and the same with the Rogers downstairs, which we'll talk about in a minute, which is my favorite kit here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The two 12s that and there's been a few of those for sale actually. I think you put me on to one, one came up for sale, didn't it? 12, 12, 16, 20 by 14, 14. yeah. And I think that's the kit I recorded. I've recorded on most here. Yes, as a complete kit. That's kind of the, one of the go-to kits here, really. Yeah. If if you so if any of you look up Studio WZ at Studio WZ on Instagram, and you look at lots of the photos, and you look at lots of these great drummers that come through, here, some local guys and people from further afield, great bands and stuff. A lot of the time on the pictures <laughs> when they use your gear, uh, that kit features heavily, and everybody everybody says how amazing it sounds you know that bass drum yeah and the floor tom because i'm not a fan of 16 that floor tom stunk in yeah and and it's stunk in one of the great so one of the other things i learned from you when we first came here i'm because i'm so like um i'd sort of i just do things you know in the way like the right way you know and don't really go outside the box it was when we were when i was first tuning drums downstairs and we were spent a lot of time talking about tuning, didn't we? Mm-hmm. And it was great, really great, okay, having that feedback from you up here about how things were sounding and coming back downstairs and saying, no, you need to change this or whatever. The floor tom was, th- was it three snare weights at one point? And it sounded amazing. And I'd, ne- I'd never have done that, you know. Okay. I'd have just, it would have been one or, you know, or retuning it, making it deader by retuning it. But yeah, you were like, well, put another one on there. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh yeah, so that's a great idea. Let's put another one on there. Come back up here, hit it. Yeah, it sounds. Try another one on there. Have you got another one? Yeah, I've got another spare one. So we had three of the black ones, didn't we? Yeah. And uh, and then we had a conversation about the um, because I had you've got some of the older ones and I have, but the newer ones and we don't. The M80s. Th- yeah. Yeah, we don't think the newer M80s, the leather's quite as. It's not as heavy. Heavy. Is it? No. no, it's not like that thing. On, oh no, my wallet's in the house. It's not got the wallet vibe, has it? No, no. 
So, um, but yeah, so multiple snare weights, if you can afford to buy them, by the way, because they're a bit pricey. Yeah, but once you've got them, yeah. you don't look back. No. And Joe Cox, I mean, a shout out to Joe as well. He's mm-hmm. a lovely guy. Joe, when I, last time I bought, I bought an M, is it the M1, the little. Yeah, the little green. I use it on my crab. It's a very small one, really cute, and it's the green. It's fun, quite funky, but a little bit military in it. Or, and the, he gave me for free. He sent me a free one, which was very nice of him. But yeah, I got mine from Joe too. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think he's the guy in here. Most yeah. people go to Joe, but yeah, Joe Cox Drums. I think it's Dot UK, isn't it? I think. Was it Dot Com? No. Not sure. No. Anyway, yeah, Joe. So Joe and Joe knows you, doesn't he? he knows. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And Joe, I taught Joe. Yeah, I remember you saying. Yeah, yeah, he was a student at Leeds. He's a very good drummer, Joe. Yeah. Yeah, and he played very good pop drummer. He's very good uh, jazz, particularly big band, good redo, you know. Right. So, um, but yeah, anyway, we done, we've gone off on a tangent again. So you went, you got rid of the leady. Yes. And bought. Put a Slingland die capped. And you got, yeah, yeah, you've, and you've still got that. Yeah. Still got that, that's the gold one. Yeah, yeah. So that was that kit. And then I bought a. Like a, a 70s Gretsch. Oh, right. Which is 22. Is that the thingy shape? Oh, like a he- yeah. hexagon-y shape. Yeah, a friend of mine used to have a kit. Nearly like. 70s one. Painted inside. They painted in the shell. Yeah, the silver. Like silver paint. Yeah. Oh, there's a name for that paint as well. <laughs> there is, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if about drums to know the answer to those yeah. questions. But a friend of mine, Max to. Beasley Jr., who's, uh, he had one of those kits. It was, well, it was his dad's, but when we lived in London, he had one. Yeah, it was, in, it was an 80s with that weird shaped band. Yeah, that was the one that got away, actually. Oh, right. It's 22, 12, 13, 16. Right, okay. Deep or shallow standard sizes. Standard sizes, 12, 12 oh, by 8, oh, 13 by 9. Good. Right, right. 20, okay. 22 by 14. Oh, great size. But okay. I think those ones came originally with these really big, ugly mounts on them. Yeah, they were, yeah. And they'd been taken off. Right. So I had huge holes in all the ah. high toms. Yeah, yeah. And it was really rough. You get splinters off Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. The whole kit was... Really rough looking. Yeah. But it yeah, sounded yeah. amazing. Oh, right, okay. I don't know why, but I didn't want a rough looking kit at the time. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I got rid yeah. of it. But I'd, I'd have done the same, to be honest with you. I yeah. can still hear that drum kit in my head. Really? It was good. Wow. Right, right. And so that when so was that, were you here by then? No. No. So this is still pre 2017. Yeah. Right, okay. But that, yeah, that kit was on some big records, I think. It was on some Massive Attack stuff and some Kasabian records. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, it belonged to Ian Matthews originally. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you've got some great, yeah, you've got some great celebrity drums, haven't you? Or oh, you've had some and still own oh, some. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we'll talk about the Zildjian snare in a minute. And that blooming thing. So that yeah. came and went. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Came and went, yeah. Oh, they're always coming and going, aren't yeah. they? Yeah, it's a, oh. And then there's a, another Slingland downstairs. Yes, that kit. My, yeah. I forgot the name of the colour color of that one. It's a white. It's like a beautiful, like cream, is it like creamy? It's that weird white yeah. 60s finish. Pearlescent, but it's a beautiful kit. Kind of psychedelic looking. Yeah, it looked, the kit looks smaller, because I thought it was an 18, didn't I? And it's a 20. But it looks kind of smaller. It's, it's a very cute looking kit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it sounds yeah. mega. That, that, that's, yeah. 
Yeah, that's mm. special. Yeah, yeah, it's it, a beautiful set of drums. Does, yeah, unfortunately, yeah. it doesn't get used that much. No, no. But it deserves to be used a lot more. Yeah. Cause it sounds so good. It's easy to tune. Yeah. It sounds and it, really punchy. It's 12 and 14, is it? Yeah. Because yeah, I thought, that's the one I thought I was going to use instead of my drums, but I thought it was an 18 bass drum and it wasn't. I had this yeah. really weird thing in my head, like a, it was the 18. So I thought you had, that was the 18 that you had, but you don't have an 18. No. Never had one. I did have one for a while. I had one of those Pearl World series. Oh, the World, yeah. yeah they've got those. Nice wooden ones. Because I used to have a Masters Custom, which is basically the same. And they had the World, I think the World Series ones are in the 606 Club in London. Okay. At 18, yeah. Nice yeah. drums. Yeah, yeah. The very, very good workhorse drums there. Yeah. Yeah. The big yeah. ones are really good as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I always remember when I first went to the 606 Club, I'm sure they were. And we've got some at Leeds, actually. They've all sort of disappeared because they, they replaced the ones at Leeds with these with the Catalina Clubs to go in the teaching mm. rooms. But we had the the World Series, we had 20s and 18s and 12 and 13 standard-sized toms and, and 14 floor toms. Oh. It was a really nice kit, actually. One of them was a 20 by 14, 12, 13, 14. Which is kind of Jeff Tame Wattsy, but it would be an 18 with Tane, actually. I think the bass drum would be 12, 13, 14. Yeah, mine was 18, 10, 12, 14. Yeah, 10, 12, 14. Yeah, yeah, classic. Yeah, 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 yeah. And if you'd still had that, I'd have probably recorded with that, actually. Yeah. Oh, it yeah. was good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I had that Masters Custom for years, which was 12, 14, 18. And I had that for a long, long time. And then mm-hmm. I sold it to a friend of mine. I think he still got it, actually. Um, but I got rid of that and then bought this Premier uh, Gen X thing, which had a bit of a nightmare with. It sounded great, but it was the drum I was telling you about today about the deep bass drums, you know. Mm-hmm. Never really got on with the bass drums. It was 18 by 16. It just doesn't work for me. And then I custom ordered a 20, which was I custom ordered it 20 by 18 at the time. And it was just a complete disaster. I never played that bass drum. Well, I played it once yeah. and never played it again. I just went back. I, had a, I still had the DW kit at the time, which was a Keller Shell 89 kit, and it was 20 by f- uh, 16, but it was an amazing bass drum. Richard Hammond's favourite bass drum I've ever owned. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. He said just, he had something in the sound of that bass drum, and that I sold that kit to an, uh, an ex-student of mine, and he got rid of it. And it was always a, an agreement that if he ever was going to sell it, he would give me first refusal to buy it back. And he didn't. Has he sold it now? He, he traded it into a shop for right. a for a Gretsch, um, one of the nice Gretches, which is fair enough. It was his thing, but I'd have bought it back off him. Yeah, I'd have given him the, the money I gave him for it. I'd have given it him straight swap back. I, he'd have got more money than he'd have got from the shop, but you know, never found out who bought that kit from the shop because it's gone somewhere. And uh, that was a weird, that had weird sizes. It was like 10, 12, 14, but the 12 was um, tw- was like 12 by 10. Okay. Yeah, it wasn't a very nice, um, wasn't a very nice Tom that. It was just too deep, you know. And the, But the 10 was beautiful, I like, really sing it. And 14 was by 12. Okay. It's the loudest 14 uh, drum I've ever owned, Yeah. But it's not as loud as this 13 that yeah. I've got. That was very resonant, isn't it? It's really good, yeah. And it was Especially quite dampened today. And yeah. yeah, in the big room here, it was fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I've been playing that all the time, that 13. It's just amazing. I can't believe how... it's one You get drums sometimes, they punch way above yeah. their weight, don't they? Yeah, yeah. 
Um, but you had you had this magnesium. Yes. So what's the story behind that? Is that still for sale? It's still for sale, yeah. yeah the yeah. drummer's on in Cardiff. It's in Cardiff, yeah. It's not yeah, in Swansea. I thought it was in Swansea, but it's in Cardiff. Yeah. Yeah, and so, you kept the snare though, didn't you? Well, I bought the snare first. Oh, that's what you did. So yeah. I went to this drummer's on in Cardiff. Yeah. Went snare shopping. Snare shopping. Left with yeah. this VK magnesium. Yes. 14 by 4 snare. Yeah. I've, I think I played that yeah. snare a little bit. It's already. very interesting. It is, yeah, it is. Yeah, very light. It's very, very strange, light. yeah, but it's Interesting not. snare sounds on it. Yeah. The way the... Yeah, the way the snares react to the drum. It's mm. really interesting. It, 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 what, from like, your ears perspective in... Yeah, you can... The blend of t- the loose versus the tight sound. Yeah, yeah. It's really is, interesting. Which it's is not a massive part of tuning, yeah. The, the throw works in, like, it has notches on it. Yeah, my crab one does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's because of that, but the snare sound on it is really yeah. interesting. Yeah, yeah. Because a lot of them, they have, like, my crab one has a very, very fine thread. And, and then it has the ball bearing. And it mm-hmm. has, I think it's, like... I don't know, it's like 24 positions or something. It's very, very tiny increments of... Okay, I think this is a bit bigger increments, I think. Is it? Yeah, yeah. But I have to show you what I mean. I'm finding it hard to describe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, for me, most of the thing with tuning a snare drum is about is about tuning is about how tight the snares are. You just get the drum to roughly sound, but that's the thing that makes it crispy and not, you know... The thing that makes it feel like you're getting into the detail. Yeah, the amount of you know how the low end changes as well with snare tension. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Yeah, you never yeah. think that would make such a difference. In, in, in respect of choking or yeah, 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 yeah. I'm interested from your perspective because it's because from a drum perspective, from a drummer perspective, it's both things. You know, you hit the drum and there's the thing of what you hear. But it's also what you feel. Feel, yeah. You know, I'm less interested in feel. Of course, <laughs> in, in how it feels to play. You're yeah. like, yeah, I don't care how it feels to play, Dave. It, this is how it. This is this is the best sound, and and so this, you know, the thing about this kind of relationship that <clears throat> how because um, the way I frame this, I've been trying to mm-hmm. persuade Owen to do this interview for how long? Three, as long as I've known you, really. Three, four, three, three, four years? Yeah, yeah. Well, I started the podcast in October 2019. Okay. Yeah. So I was here in, in August, and then, yeah, I started the podcast in all in October, in October 2019. My father passed away in September, and the thing, uh, I've talked about this before, the thing about it was about when people die, they, they take what they knew with them, you know. Mm. It's gone forever. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and there's you know, a few things in my family history. My dad, my dad was was a, an insular kind of person. He was he, he didn't didn't show his emotions much and stuff. He was mm-hmm. you know he was kind of operated in a quite an old fashioned way. And, yeah. and so there are things in the family and the history of of our family. I mean, my brother just don't know anything about and never will now because his mm-hmm. sister who was passed away a couple of years ago and she was like ninety two. My auntie. Um, and she sort of was much more emotional and shared things, you know. But those stories were always a little bit... It was always hard to kind of link things together, you know. Yeah, yeah. But when when he died, the, the, after sort of getting over the initial kind of, you know, grief of it all and coming out of that, in sort of in, in, the, in the bleakness of October, you know, that's, I had this idea of... Um, of 
of just like going, I'm just going to start recording crap about the drums and talking about things, you know. Mm-hmm. Great. And, and that was when, you know, and then I started having this idea about interviewing people, you know. And uh, so I think I think then the idea in my head was I always wanted to talk to you about the conversations we had that when we met in, in August 19, mm-hmm. you know, about um, tuning, because yeah. the thing you know, the one is you you have the drum dial, yes, and you use it all the time, don't you? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've used daily. For... <laughs> I've never owned one, you know. No. I, it really fascinates me that yeah, I've used know. one almost almost daily for fifteen years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, was, and you said to me yeah, yesterday we were chatting, and you said, "Oh, I've been oh, uh, Tuesday. Where are we now? Tuesday." Sunday came, didn't it? Yeah. He said, "I've been spending this. He said, I've been spending a lot of time tuning drums recently." And I was like, "Haven't you just been spending like the last? <laughs> How old are you now? Yeah. How long have you had drums? Uh, it sounds to me like you've just been tuning drums for twenty years or something." But um, but that was the, the kind of revelation then. You know, and I'm I'm 52 now, and I've been playing drums a long time, over 40 years. Well, this year is my 40th anniversary actually, because I started in I started in uh, in eight in 1983, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Christmas 82, 83 was when I started. So this was my my 40 year anniversary this year. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. Which is that's 40 years, isn't it? Yeah, 52. Yeah, yeah, yeah 40 years. Yeah. God, yeah, it's not 30 years; it's 40 years. Jesus. Um, but you live and learn you know always always got to be open to learning and always open to people's opinions and and always open to people giving you advice and you know one of the sort of a lot of young drummers that i come across and i was like this are very defensive about the thing they do and they come Mm -hmm. into the studio we can maybe talk about that a little bit yeah 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 you've had a lot of experience dealing with personalities and dealing with having to coax people through situations trying to get the best out of them without without making them turn into a complete emotional wreck because we all think people saying something doesn't sound whatever is criticism and it isn't it's you know unless someone's an absolute arsehole which this gentleman is certainly not people are people are always trying to help yeah and if you've got an open heart and mind to that you can you can learn loads you know and and I've done, I've you know played for a long, long time and played all sorts of music with all sorts of people and did all sorts of recording. And you know, coming here in 2019, and I'm just having the first day of conversations with somebody that's really into recording music and really into recording drums, but all music, mm-hmm. and having a great ear for it. You you learn so much, you know. So that was why I always wanted to come back to you and say. So then I asked you, and you said no. <laughs> <laughs> sorry no no it's fine and it was and I know why you know because it's weird isn't it and but then the next time I came here well I came here to do some filming which was a bit strange we had that weird mm-hmm. film we didn't play anything did we and yeah. I, I had the Rogers kit out where we mimed yes. yeah but we hung out here for a few days and it was yeah. really nice and I asked you again then didn't I and you sort of said maybe and then the next time I came back was when I did the Tapestry album with Lowry and Sierra and Lee and 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 Jake um, and Jake when Jake moved down here yeah yeah which is great that Jake's here I can't believe Jake lives here now he's lived here a while hasn't he but Mm -hmm. what an amazing thing a phenomenal bass player great musician and a very very top uh, human being but um, when we did that recording we were going to do this then, weren't we? And we just didn't have time, did we? No. Realistically, because it were long days and and it was like... I mean, the funny thing, when we did that, I turned up here and um, 
and they'd sent some demos through and I walked into the studio and I'd driven five and a half hours like it is, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I got you were like, Hey dude, man, do you want to brew? And I was like, Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I walked into the studio and they were all set up ready to play, weren't they? Were they? And I was like I can't remember that, yeah. <sighs> and you had the kit set up for me already. Yeah, always did. And it was always and it was tuned as it's <laughs> But the drum dial thing is so interesting because you really you really use that tool and it and it really correlates for me on the outside of it mm-hmm. it seems to really correlate with what you're hearing up here yeah and i'm really interested in that in how you know how you've got to that point of trusting in that because it's like it you know i i kind of do you want to explain how it works i know how it works i know people listening probably know a little bit but it, to your ear how it works well mechanically how it works it yeah measures tension measures tension on yeah. the drum skin yeah and I move it from lug to lug. Yeah. To try and get an even tension. Do you move it cross or just yeah, in I a do, circle? I do cross and then clockwise and cross. Cross and clockwise. clockwise. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And I guess my choice of skins is important for how I use the drum dial also. <laughs> of course, yeah, yeah. So I use ambassador, Remo ambassadors on everything. On everything, that's correct. Top and bottom. Yeah, that's, and the coated. Coated. Yeah. Apart from on my Rogers, I have clear on the bottom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes sense. That's how yeah. it came. And when I changed those, it sounded awful. So I put them yeah, back it'll on. choke them up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If on the wrong drum, I use coated on the bottom of all my Sonos because I want that sound. But if I'm doing a, if I'm doing like a disco classical thing or something, I put the EC2s on the top, and I might even go for clear on the bottom. Mm. I will change them. But the EC2s tend to do that job for me with even with the coated bottom. You okay. tune them down and hit them hard, and they just go boom. You know they've got yeah. a lot of even even the ten. You know, I mean, in fact, the the EC two's on my ten at home. Moment, it sounds it sings like you know it's unbelievable. This little tiny little ten by eight drum, and it's really punching again above its weight. But the nine ply shells aren't they? So okay, yeah, yeah, they're robust. Especially when you hit the harder you hit them, they don't they don't seem to choke up. You know, they seem to. But yeah, you see, you go around look to look. And then clockwise, and, and then Remo heads seem Remo, to be ambassador coated. Top and bottom. Yeah. So I go for the same tent. My starting place <clears throat> would be the same tension, top and bottom. Oh, right. Exactly the same. So when you hit it, the note doesn't drop or yeah, go up, it stays. You're not bringing it up to you, just setting it. Well, as a starting point. Yeah. And then I think, well, how, I, how do I want this tongue to move once it's hit? And 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 is that in, is that to do with mic placement as well, or is that purely an acoustic thing at the time? Purely acoustic, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Because I love it when a floor tom drops a little bit after the note. Yeah, mm. yeah. Sounds it's big sixteen. Yeah, dropping yeah. just a tiny bit. Yeah, yeah. It's good with a good bit of punt with a bit a nice bit of weight in it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, sometimes yeah. I don't want my high toms to do that. Yes. Yeah. I want it either to resonate a bit more, so I'll tune the bottom heads. Up. up a bit, yeah, yeah. Sorry, it's just me. That's my uh, phone. Yeah, it's or or <clears throat> keep it the same. Yeah. As like a medium. That's like my go-to. So my go-to tension, for example, is 75 for a starting. And that's a setting on the dial, drum yes. dial. Yes, so you have to calibrate the drum dial on like a piece of mirror or a piece of glass. To zero. Oh, right, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. Right, yeah. And then okay. if I put it on in a 75, that's kind of mm. medium low. Medium low, okay. 
and that's and 75 and 12 13 16 feel that gives you the same and I, yeah, same tension on all my toms and bass drum but not on snares but not on snares no but that tension will the size of the drum will dictate then the pitch yeah difference so yeah. you have even tension on all drums yeah yeah that's like quite a crude starting place yeah 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 but always consistent yeah 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 so you, you so you've got that so the thing about that is for me it's just saying you've got we've got a benchmark yeah and and then you'll know basically like what a drum is going to do from that benchmark aren't you yeah and this is the kind of scientific thing that i'm really intrigued about you know because i'd always try and do it by you know by the tension in the hand yeah because you're always feeling so we, took, we had this discussion yesterday about my my um what the little sil what they called uh parkside my parkside uh right. hand electric screwdriver yes i take all my heads on and off using that because it's uh, and when i put it on talk setting one it, it does finger tight <laughs> and it is finger tight you know it's literally it's exactly it's for just by pure chance Sevens do the torque key, don't they, as well? Which I've got three of those, yeah, Which yeah. Which doesn't work for me. Yes. Because I've got s- such old drums. Yeah, and the threading and the everything. The threading is weird, or there might yeah. be a rust or dirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so I've, 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 I've talked about this on here before as well. You know, every, people that know me and all my students that know me, because they all talk to me about tuning, and I've got, I'm quite kind of, mm. have, a, have a little routine, but I always, three in one, uh, most, you know, uh, the, you know yes. um, the oil. Uh, yeah, the oil for um, for bikes and for um, mowers. That's, that's the black and white tin, isn't it? Yeah, that black and one? white tin and, and the, red nozzle. And used to be, yeah, red nozzle. And it used to be in an old, uh, in actual, in a green and white tin as well. But okay. now it's, yeah, now it's. Uh, but it's always one drop of oil down every lug every time I undo. Oh. Every time, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I know that when I re-tighten them, but I, I, I've got three of those keys and I don't use them anymore. Um, and I used to do things like, oh, I, I used to set it all. So I'd go around the drum when it was tuned and get it all to click. Yeah. On whatever setting it's one with three and a half or whatever. And then take take the head off, put a new head on, go right back to that thing again. It was never the same. No. <laughs> and that was after oiling it so that I you know all my drums are modern drums I don't have any old drums mm-hmm. they're all kind of so all the threads are beautiful they're all clean I clean all the threads with a bit of whatever and so no but those so those things are, I, the, I mean I remember Barry Ray saying to me from BR Distribution Barry's a drummer and, he, and he's into tuning and he knows a lot about drums and he always he said the same to me thing to me as you said he said you just don't know if your threads you don't know if those threads are the same, you yep. know. He said, but with the drum dial, you do, you know it's the same because it's the same tension at every point of the head around each lug. And is it the same in the middle? Yeah, so the thing that's hard to do is get it, let's say, 75 on each lug. On each lug, yeah. And then 75 in the middle also. Oh, right, okay. Wow. It's- yeah. yeah, sounds easier than it is. No, it doesn't sound it doesn't sound easy at all. I mean, if you if the more lugs you've got, the more complex it gets, I imagine. So most toms are five and six lug, aren't they? Mm-hmm. So because all like the Catalina, all cheaper Catalinas, are all five lug, aren't they? Because they're saving money on a lug, aren't they, for every mm-hmm. tom they build? But like my, um, I don't know what my sonos are. It must be six. Yeah, mine are all six, I think. Yeah, yeah. I don't even think about it actually. No, Full toms are eight, I think. Yeah. Are they eight? 
Yeah, um, and all my snares are twelve, all of them. Uh, sorry, ten. They're all ten. Yeah, yeah, because they're all fourteens. All my I've just bought thirteen, but that's another story. Um, I might be buying another snare from tomorrow. But we won't talk about that. <laughs> Cash only. It's your fault. <coughs> well, it might yes. be your fault. Yeah, yeah. But um, anyway, so the drum dial thing is always your starting point. Yeah, and uh, I know if, I, if I'm doing like a jazz session, I yeah. know that I need to take it up to at least 80. Yeah, yeah. And often in the jazz, actually, I'd tune the res head like five more. Slightly higher than the top, yeah. that's what I'd do. So I'd go 80 yeah, over yeah. 85 or something. Yeah, yeah. That kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And if I've got like a really fat, deep pop sound, yeah. then I'd go all the way down to like 72. On top? On, the, on both. On both. Where, right. Which is... Less than finger tight, really. Right. But if I do it by f- finger, yeah. then I, then the drum just doesn't sing right. It goes... No. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, it'll go... Yeah, but if I can get that that low, but evenly tensioned, yes. it will give me a note. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's... The thing I always say about floor toms is you're just trying to get it on the shell. So it's just... You don't want it to go any really any further than that, unless you're playing jazz. Mm-hmm. But most of my bottom heads on all my floor toms, even for playing jazz, because I like a lower, I do like a lower floor tom. You know, is is just nipping it up on the bottom, so it's got that resonance. And then the top head is just take it up until it starts to sing, and then and then put the put snare weight on it or yeah. <laughs> control that overtone. You know, yeah. But um, yeah, it's the, the tuning thing. It's um, so I just so the thing I'd say is you can always learn a lot about tuning acoustically. But then we get to the thing of the relationship between. So this was the whole premise of this. And I was saying this to you the other day about it's about drums from one side of the glass to the other, mm-hmm. and, and what I mean by that is drums from the perspective of the stool from me, the drummer and the relationship you have with um if you're in the studio the relationship that you have i mean i haven't got to talk about live playing yet but that's maybe a different thing but that relationship you have with the engineer the other side of the glass you know and also the there might be a producer in their ear or somebody Mm -hmm. who's got their ear or wants a particular thing and it's that kind of negotiation and that becomes for me if that situation exists the negotiation is not between me and you and them, it's between you, you and them. I'm just... Yeah. Because in the playing, the negotiation is just what they're telling me to do. <laughs> yes. But the tuning and getting the drums to sound good and being adaptable is is definitely a thing where the feedback is coming from you, you know. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I got into using from the first time I played here was wooden bass drum beater. Yeah. Which is something you'd never... No, that's definitely rubbed off on me. Yeah, yeah. And it was that that from that first time recording here, and I, I've got like three wooden beaters now, and I use them a lot on gigs. And and, and again, I do, I do this disco classical show, and I work with this engineer. We did a few shows, big, big rooms. And when I came to set up, he's like, oh, the drums sound great. He said, but being the bass drum, I'm just not quite getting it. I said, I'll sort it out for you. And just put the wooden beater on. And he said, that's sorted it all out so it's just so easy to work with front of house you know and it's really and i've got you know it's hard to they're hard to play with 
that's the problem yeah you know and the thing the thing i noticed when i did that recording here in 2019 i filmed everything downstairs so i had all the acoustic thing on my camera and i was doing a lot of double weird little clangery double hits on the bass drum and they weren't intentional they were no. they were they were poor technique that's quite know? common it is quite common yeah 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 what do you do about that because when when i was listening back in here this is one of the beautiful things about when you got a good engineer is you're not hearing that but I, when I listened back to the video of me playing in the room, watched my, I was horrified. Really? I was like, oh my God, I sound awful. Why, why, why is Owen not making me sound like that when I'm listening back through here? But when I'm here in the room, because I wasn't aware when I was playing, and because mm-hmm. I was using this wooden beater, which was quite new to me, but it had this, definitely had this thing, didn't it, where it was, it was delivering sort of. Don't know, like three, like almost three dimensional in a way, because it was given that thing, but it wasn't clicky. Yeah, and then there was a lot of nice controlled low end, and it still sounded like a bass drum. <laughs> so, is that something that you've encouraged other people to do since, or use a wooden? Yeah. Yes, actually, it's if my pedal's on the kit when a band walks in. Yeah, it will have that beater on it. Will it? But not everyone's open to it. No, no, no. I nearly used it for this, but I went for the soft mm. one, and I think we made the right decision. The bass drum was a little bit woollier, wasn't it? But it was the right sound. But I think it's maybe something you don't start with, but you go to. Yeah, yeah. But when I, yeah, but when I set the bass drum up here on Sunday night and I played it with a wooden beater on, it sounded pretty mega, didn't it, mm. in the room? And I was like, can I play this music? Because it's, you know... You're playing with an empty bass drum, aren't you? Playing with an empty bass drum on the 18, you know, it's, it's new for me. And, 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 and the, you know, the, 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 it's, there's a lad I taught at college, Herbie Underwood, he's a very good drummer, Herbie, and he got one of these... It's a fluffy beater, but it's a slightly harder. And I'd not seen them on, on Amazon. And, I, and he directed me as well. They're not very well made, actually. Like, they've got a locking, nylock nut on them, which undoes. Okay. And I and I put thread locker on it and sorted it out because I was doing a gig and it fell off. Oh, the, no. the beater didn't fall off, but the but the thing fell off the nut bolt nut off the top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean. Yeah. So I nylocked it on. It's never moved since. But the actual sound of it because it's got it's it's sort of hard beater, but it's got soft. So when you go into the head, you don't get the clangers. Okay. It's still clean, uh. and I, that's why I made the decision to use it because I could then be playing because we had because we had really nice open and closed sound with the bass drum, didn't we? And Peter Erskine, no, John Riley, who's taught me, would say he would criticise me for the closed sound because he said to me once, he said, um, "I've heard Peter Erskine on record burying his beater into the bass drum," and he said it in a way where, uh. and I was like, he sounds. He sounds pretty mega, doesn't he, all the time, doesn't he, really, you know? And I was like, wow, I bury the beater sometimes. And he's like, well, man, you know, you should be coming away, always coming away, let the drum ring. You always. Know? He does, yeah. But I, I make a decision to... Yeah, yeah you're getting different tones. Yeah, and, and that punchy thing, yeah, and stopping the resonance and stuff, yeah, making this kind of decision about it, yeah, yeah. yeah. it's a choice. But, uh, so how many drummers do brave it... <laughs> wooden beater do they and is is the rogers is it that rogers bass drum which is the one that that they seem to or is it just random really um i think <coughs> excuse me 
is random. People find the Slingerlands harder to play. Yeah, I did. That that one you've yeah. got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, I normally have like the the double hits. You get the double hits on that. On that, yeah, on that bass drum. Usually because yeah, it's, yeah. it's fairly empty with me, that drum. Yeah, usually. yeah, yeah. Well, I played it. Well, because I went, we went for that sound, didn't we? And it's hard to play, but it sounds mega. Yeah. But it is like a bit of a nightmare. Yeah. yeah that bass drum's one of those things I'd grab in a fire. Oh, wow. You know, when people ask you the question, yeah, yeah, yeah. Off, what would you grab? Yeah, cymbals for me. And snare drums probably. That'll be they're the first women. They're the women and children. Yeah. And the you know sadly the the the, the toms and the bass drums. Even though I wouldn't, I could I mean my my the sonos now I couldn't live without them. They're so beautiful. All of them. I've got. They're all sounding exactly how I want. But I'd still get the snare drum and the cymbals first. <laughs> <laughs> Especially the, the the Istanbul twenty one inch jazz special edition ride, which is the symbol. You know my symbol yeah yeah but, um, but yeah that one's hard yeah especially if people aren't used to such an open drum yeah 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 with the uh, rogers tend to have one of those evans eq pillows oh yeah that's right yeah yeah them quite good often. Them. yeah yeah it's just yeah, very yeah. minimal but enough to give you that dryer. Yeah, and just to stop the head from being too out of control. Because that's the thing that makes you do the clangers, is the head sort of doing this unpredictable. Yeah, but mine's quite a small one. It's quite a flat one, so it doesn't touch yeah. the reso head. doesn't touch the reso head, yeah, 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 yeah. And do you always take the outer skin off on the bass drum, or not? No, so I've got, I've got a range of skins at the studio. Yeah. So, depending on the sound we're going for, mm-hmm. I'll either... Have a, have a small hole, a bigger hole, yeah, or no hole. So you have some no holes, yeah, yeah. Because a lot of it, a lot of studios don't, do they? They don't want to. They, they always want to have no, a hole. Yeah. Or they, t- or they just take the head off, won't they? If you've, you've got no hole. Well, the thing about a hole is you lose all your low end. Right. You lose all the tone. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we used a four one four on mine, didn't we? We did three and a bit inches, four inches away. It was four wasn't inches, it? wasn't it? We measured it. Yeah, you measured it. Yeah, yeah. And off from the side, really. Changed the angle, didn't you? You went to sort of 30 degrees or something. Yeah. Yeah, from being straight on. More like a Tom mic position. Oh, yeah, that's right. If you think about it like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, that's true, actually. Yeah, because it had that, yeah. How weird. Because, for me, I think of a jazz bass drum as a big Tom. As a big Tom, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is, because that's so, what you're trying to do, really, with it. So I think yeah. about that when I get a sound for it really yeah especially if you're using it in lines and in vocab as, as part of your mm. kind of solo not just for playing punctuation and stuff yeah 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 and on, on some sessions if I want the closed head for the low end yeah size if I'm not getting enough attack then I'll I'll creep the microphone round by the bass pedal you put it on that on the batter side yeah, yeah. Which, what mic do you use for that on the batter side all sorts the last time I used the Sennheiser 441 441 yeah yeah it's quite a big microphone to get in that position but yeah 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 it's very directional so yeah I don't get too much snare from that oh yeah yeah because it's kind of is it like a kind of heck is it like a square end yeah it's a long it looks like a pair of hair straighteners yeah that's right we talked about it yeah. Tonight, we? Yeah, hair straighteners yeah, One, yeah. another thing I've been doing <laughs> recently is instead of a snare bottom mic yeah I'd put a I've been using my U87 actually oh under the snare it's a bit posh yeah it's a bit posh it just happened to be oh. my closest mic to me when I first oh, tried right. it oh right okay so I 
I use one of these G claw camp clamps. Yeah, yeah, they go on. Yeah, on the bottom of my snare drum top mic stand. Yeah, and I normally use that for my snare bottom, so I don't need two yeah, snare yeah. stands. Yeah, yeah, they're really good for that. Yeah, but I use this, but with a U eighty seven under the snare, but pointing at the bass drum beater. And set to what the what settings is it? So that's still on cardioid. It's on cardioid, right? So you get a bit of snare bottom. Yeah, but you get more beater. So you're using it more as a bass drum. Well, kind of both. Oh right. It's a snare sizzle and a yeah. I guess a kick and pack. blending that in. Yeah. Ah. So no. yes, but that's a commitment, isn't it? Because you're because you you're not miking one thing. No. Right. Okay. That's been working well recently. Yeah, yeah. I know we didn't do yeah. that on this session, but no, no, we didn't need to. The no. snare drum sounded. Oh. That's good. Really good, didn't it? Yeah. For old 414. Silver 414. Yeah. Nylon. Nylon, yeah, 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 yeah. So a bit more reliable. Yeah, less, yeah. less scary when it's a yeah. couple of centimetres from a snare drum. I, I did touch it once. And that, that was only when I was doing some uh, hitting the cymbals with the side of the stick and I just tapped and I stopped immediately and I did apologise. <laughs> Yeah. But I didn't dent it, but it was, you know, yeah, it's yeah, it's a very nice mic to be very close to the snare mm. drum. Very, be very. I think it's one of my yeah. favourite snare drum mics. So, I think now I have to say it's one of mine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've got KM one eight fours at home, and they they they're quite nice, but they're a little bit too clinical. Actually, they're very very good, mm. but then they, they haven't got the because that's got the clinical detail but the warmth hasn't yeah, it it's got the mojo it's got it yeah and so I brought down I think I discussed this uh, in the last episode actually because I was talking about the last episode I did by the way it was about prep and I was just talking okay. about preparing for situations but I was using what we're doing about coming down here and it's not just talking about it's about what, what I was practicing and stuff and what I was thinking about in, on the actual instrument and trying to get on top of the open bass drum thing and been working on that for like the last three years really you know you know but also about having the gear ready yeah. you know and just thinking about all those things and the one decision I've made uh, and I was joking talking about you know, when you're about to leave to go to the studio you've got all your stuff you know you've got, you, you've got a certain amount of space in the car Mm-hmm. so that does limit you so my car I can't put more than one bass drum in the car Okay. so that makes life very easy Yeah. <laughs> but I can put more than one snare drum in the car and I can put more than one cymbal case in the car yes. <laughs> but I made the decision to bring one cymbal case but I did bring two snare drums and and I this Gary Noonan Black Beauty copy which I bought last year which is mega uh, and I'd put the diecast, the, the old the 80s diecast, the original diecast for the Black Beauty on them, and it sounded great. I did some recording down here at another studio with Lee Mason a few weeks ago and used it on this session, and it sounded exactly right for that, but it's not wasn't right for the jazz thing. Mm-hmm. So I put the original hoops back on just about four or five days ago and was just playing it at home. In fact, no, it's a bit longer than that because I did a gig. I went out and did a gig with it on Thursday, and it sounded really good. And um, and I mentioned in the podcast, some guy made some very nice comment about my. He called me Freddie Casper Ghost Notes or something. That was he made a nickname up for me as he was walking out the door. And I said, "That's where did you get the name from?" So I've just made it up. 
I said, you should get into the nickname, making up game, you know. So I'm going to use that. What was it again? Casper Freddy Ghost Notes or something, you know, Casper the Ghost, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, uh, but he, he was at the back of the room and this was the thing I was like, that's carrying. And it was a loud band. It wasn't like this. It was like yeah. a rock thing, you know, and it was just, it's, it was a little bit not where my head was at the time, actually. But, um, but what was interesting was all that details carrying. And we came here and I brought the crav and never got it out of the case, you no, know. didn't need to. Didn't need it, no, because because that, that microphone with that snare drum had everything. And I, w- I was worried that it was going to have too much. Too much. Of other stuff. You right. know, but yeah. it but it, it didn't at all. Well, I don't I don't know whether it did, but it didn't sound like it did. It sounded very tight and it sounded yeah, focused. Very focused. Yeah. It's very focused in that room this week. Yeah, yeah. So that's the one thing that was different this yeah. time. So I came here on Sunday night. I caught you out, didn't you I? You caught me out, yeah, yeah. So the Hammond was in the drum room and I yeah. was like, Oh then where am I going? You're going in there. You're going, you've been promoted. <laughs> You're getting out of the cupboard. <laughs> But it worked. But there was two reasons for that, wasn't there? Yeah. Which were the the, the dead room or the drum room. Yeah. Just has a more focused low end. More focused low end, right? Which is great for when I'm doing rock or pop sessions. And I want that floor tom. The floor tom, monstrous floor that's floor tom thing. Great floor. That's a great tom room down there. Yeah, that, and that Rogers sixteen. Yes. Yeah, it's just. It's so addictive. Thunderous. Yeah, yeah. And then when I'm doing those kind of sessions, I've got room mics in the big room. You do, yeah. Which are in, further away from And the you room. have the bass drum mic. You have, a, you have a, I don't know what that amazing mic you always have in the middle of the room. That's this one, it is. Oh. Ah. The, the Chandler Red. Ah, right, yeah, okay. That's the one that gets it all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's normally sat about 10 foot away or something. Yeah, and it, and quite a lot, about... Two foot from the floor? Two foot off the floor, yeah, 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 yeah. There's a lot of low end down there. Yeah, yeah. We, on this session, we had it three metres in the... Three metres high? Yes, you did, really yeah. high. Oh, yeah, yeah, did, but yeah. It sounds very different up there. It sounded very different, yeah, yeah. And you explained this thing, which I never got my head around, well, I got, which I never realised about... Because it's high in the room. You get more high end. You get more high end, which is so obvious. And because the low end down. doesn't move in the room. In the Yeah, yeah. And it was like so obvious when you said it. I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah, because, because it's higher up. And, the low, and, and you said that the low frequencies move. They're omnidirectional. Omnidirectional. They're usually lower down in the room. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, that makes sense. But the omni—I didn't know about the omnidirectional thing. Mm. I always thought everything was always kind of travelled in the same direction. Well, it's much harder to tell where low end is coming from. Oh right, okay. Whereas high end, it's easier to. If you think about a, a noisy car passing, yes. you can't see, and it's coming down the street. Yeah. Sometimes it feels you're not sure or, where it's coming from there or there yeah, until yeah. you hear the high end. Yeah. Then you're like, yeah. oh, there it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have the same with aircraft above your head, don't you? Mm. Especially um, like Cessna's small aircraft. You're like, oh, it's over there, and it's oh no, oh yeah, and then you suddenly because you get that that higher end thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's interesting. So but, you can think about that when you're placing microphones. Yeah, of course. So what do I want from this? Yeah, microphone. Where am I going to put it? Yeah, yeah, 
yeah, what do I want from this microphone? Where do I... So that was above, yeah, what was it, 10 foot? More than that. Yeah, it's pretty high up, Pretty high it? up on the big boom, yeah, yeah. And then you had two really nice mics, I've forgotten the name of them, where my ears are, essentially, just behind my head. So the Earthwork mics. Earthworks, that's right, yeah. Quite yeah. very clinical, clean-sounding yeah. microphones. Yeah, very yeah. Very fast yeah. response. I think you were, we were having a discussion about me... Or you were possibly going to sell them at one point, or, or something was. Oh no! The, oh, the ones behind your head. Yeah. Oh, those, sorry, those yeah. are the Geffel UMT seventy S. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Which has the famous M seven capsule that you have in, like your Neumann U eighty seven. The eighty seven. Yeah. So mm. Neumann Geffel were the same company. Yeah. Yeah. And. They've split up. They split up. Yeah, and they're slightly better value for money, mics, are they? No, no, I wouldn't say that. Right, affordable. No, they're more, they're less. They're made on a smaller scale. Oh, okay. So I would say they're truer to the older Neumanns, really. Ah, but because, but but because they haven't got the U eighty seven name, people think don't pay as much attention to them. Is that probably? Yeah, yeah. They're not. Yeah, they don't have the same promotion, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Neumann's owned by Sennheiser now. That's right. Huge company, yeah, huge company, yeah, and they make great mics as well. But yeah, yeah, they all do. Yeah, they, they, still they do. all do. Yeah, 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 yeah. But they're really nice. They're transformerless. Oh right. So the, the only difference between those and a U eighty seven basically is one's transformerless, and one's yeah, transformer. Right, right. Okay. So they're a bit quicker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My less, less circuitry, I suppose, yeah. or less of that that how that circuitry affects the signal. It's a very detailed. Yes. So, do you remember the, the your ride sound in them? It's okay. incredible. Yeah, that that particularly the twenty one. Yeah, you're right. The, the main right hand side. Yeah, the Jazz Twenty One Special Edition ride. Yeah, that that particularly. That was one of the best ride sounds I've heard. Yeah, yeah, and and it was interesting because Sunday night we set up and the sound was. So this is that process thing again. So you know the thing I the thing I'd say uh, to the world, to whoever's listening is if you're in a situation in the studio, you know, you're walking in there and you've got to find it. It's not just going to come to you like, you know, you sat at home doing your thing and it's all mega, you know. Ah, oh, I sound great. And you go to a different environment, you go and do a gig and it's different. When you go in the studio, you know, you haven't got that audience thing, you haven't got that in the moment musical thing. It's a process-led thing, you know. And you've got to, you've got to allow it to... Uh, to find it and work with whoever you're working with in order to find that that yeah, thing because it will come to you yeah not to worry don't let it stress you don't out don't let it stress you out and and have a relationship with the person you're recording with and make sure that you're you're in dialogue with them yeah because sometimes yeah. that a wall comes up at that point sometimes yeah yeah and that's important that, that doesn't happen yeah because you're on the same team exactly yeah yeah which has always been my I I was I worked in the studio years and years ago I went in the studio and uh, working with this uh, producer that had uh, worked with Cher you know so I was a bit nervous about he was a very nice guy and and it was actually funny because I was playing like a it was it was like a Stevie Wonder cover but not a very well known one and this this uh, this band I was in, this guy wanted to cover this song, and he he was doing it for I don't know what he was doing it for, but it was a sp- for a specific purpose. And he had a bit of a budget, and so we went in the studio, 
and uh, and it was just a groove thing. It was quite a kind of whatever, and 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 he put me on wooden floor. They wanted this sound. He wanted this sound. So that was tricky already. I don't really like playing on a wooden floor. No carpet at all. No carpet. So it's it's kicking you in the face, you know. Really coming off the floor, especially the, the hi hat and the, and the snare and and all the cymbals as well. Less the bass drum and the toms, but when you're playing like you know straight up and down stuff and you've got this thing coming off the floor all the time reflecting but he wanted that sound and the drums sounded really good so that took a little bit of acclimatizing and it was all done to click and Mm -hmm. i was playing with this bass player uh who was um very nervous and i was subtly asking the guys in the in the booth to take less and less of him out of my headphones because I was playing with him and I could feel him pushing against the click and I was trying to lock in I had this horrible bright sound coming back at me you know trying to lock in with this click and the tempo of the tune was it's like bum, 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 dun, so it was a nice tempo but for some reason it was just feeling like it was galloping away you know and it, this guy on the bass so what happened with the, with the guy on the bass they took him out for smoke <laughs> Yeah. He came back and he was like, he was fine. But when we went back in, when we'd recorded, I was sat there listening. He was he was listening to me, this guy. He was like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And I was like, oh, what's he saying, you know? And then he was going, oh, that's interesting. And every time I played a drum fill, I would uh, wait slightly, play the fill slightly rushed, but land back on the beat. And it's just a kind of jazz thing, you know. Mm-hmm. I wasn't playing gridded through the fills. Okay. And he and he was and he was into it. Yeah. But it was a moment where I wasn't sure what way it was going to go because he wasn't what I was supposed to be doing. I was supposed to be playing. Well, yeah. You know. But he was like, it's really interesting. He said, look at you here. Look at that. What happens to you? And I, I'd never noticed it because uh, I. But I know that I rush when I play fills. I always rush in the bass drum. Actually, the bass drum's always rushing. Okay, yeah, it's quite know. common to rush into fills. It's quite common emotionally, yeah. But it, it, with the physicality sometimes of the thing of doing that with the foot, if, especially if you're playing the warming the note into, so you're preceding the downbeat with a bass drum. So, you know, you're you're playing yep. to you know a lot of drummers do that. It's a thing. Not always. Sometimes it's just. But if you're in that moment and that that first one is arriving as the motion is slightly early, okay, you're in trouble. Because yeah. you're going to be early, you know. And I, I always have a propensity to play on top of the beat. That's where my vibe mm-hmm. is, you know. Always, and it's and the same actually. Yeah, when it comes to yeah keyboards. Yeah, yeah, and it's. You know, it's how you feel music, isn't it? Yeah. You know. I almost have to just automatically nudge me back twenty milliseconds before yeah. I even listen. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> me too. And sometimes I think I'm playing behind the click, and then I go back. I don't know if it's. I don't think it's a latency thing. I think it's me. Mm. And I'm. I'm still like bloody hell. I'm still. Look at my bass drum. It's still like that. You know, the top of the amplitude of the waveform is slightly. And Richard Cassie, we were talking about today, who I've interviewed on here, he ag- he goes into Pro Tools, into Logic. He says, yeah, he says I agonise over a thousandth of a millisecond. He says because <laughs> he's got this thing about playing perfectly in time, and nobody plays perfectly in time. But he's obsessed with it, you know. He's really got that kind of mind, and he'll and he'll go in and he'll look at every single hit about where he's, you know, he's got that really clinical kind of brain, you know. Mm. Um, 
which is you know really really interesting but yeah. but just to say that you know it will come to you the room and the and things coming together and the sound will come to you if you're not closed off yeah if you're suddenly closing yourself off to you know and and i i think i've learned more about all that stuff being in the studio than any other situation you know even the non-gigs because gig the gig thing's very different you know but um, but we know it's from Sunday night because obviously I drove yep. down here and I got here early and I was quite chilled and then the other guys came and then we were playing and, and Martin was playing a Hammond proper Hammond you've got a beautiful instrument here and a yeah. beautiful Leslie and it was all worked 100% for two days two and a half days yeah yeah and you did say to me make sure he brings his spare because it might blow up you know because they do they do because it's a proper thing yeah, no matter how well maintained they are. Yeah, and you, uh, yeah, we'll talk about how well yeah. you maintain things in a minute because this place is pristine. You know, you really are fastidious in your, um, yeah, your upkeep of, <laughs> of your office <laughs> yes. and all the tools Obsessive. within it. Yeah, which is because you know you live in the countryside mm-hmm. and it's d- dirty and dusty and and you have weather here. Yeah, some serious weather. Um, in Pembrokeshire <laughs> so you've got to be on top of all that stuff haven't you you know yeah and there's no higher place near if something goes down like no. in London you could yeah sure. bring up another or, studio yeah. or a higher company yeah yeah you can get a Hammond in a few hours yeah, hopefully yeah 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 but here no chance Flax got uh, they've got a not not the same. Not a tone wheel organ like no. we need for this session. Exactly. Yeah. 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 No. I, met, I was there a few weeks ago, and he said, and Lee said, oh, "We've got a Hammond here." And I was like, "I think it's the same. It's the same instrument." Anyway. So um, so, but we by Monday morning, sound wise, a load of things went on. First of all, there's a playing thing. Martin's getting used to the vibe. And I was getting used to the room, and I was in the big in the big room. So there's a lot more low end in the sound in in a different way. Yeah, in the sort of acoustic sound of the drums, and dealing with that. And uh, Jamie Taylor was kind of getting, you know, getting his guitar vibe, getting himself into getting sound. the right headphones on, getting the right headphones on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. It was made a massive difference, that yeah. didn't it? But you were up here, which I didn't know, in the evening after you and Tom, and you were tweaking, weren't you? Little tweaks, yeah, all just... about listening and because we did a little bit of playing, didn't we, Sunday evening, just to kind of help with a bit of AB and a bit of you know having get, a bit of a reference point. Yeah, get set up ready for yeah. Yeah, because the idea was a day and a half recording and a half a day of basically getting a, getting a desk mix for you know so we could go away and have a listen to stuff, which is what we achieved, didn't we? Mm. Which was great, and we got everything the stems copied, which is a miracle. Yeah. Uh, how long did they take, by the way? Not too long in the end. No. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was surprised to see the hard drive had yeah. been unplugged because it was probably quite a lot of data. Yeah. Because we yeah, recorded it at quite high quality. Yeah, you were 96, weren't you? And then you dropped it to 48 for me to take home. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but this, just that thing of the way the sound came together by the, the by Monday morning when we started playing again, there's all those different things that come together. And that's what you're trying to achieve, aren't you? You're trying to go in that positive direction all the time. Yeah, yeah. well, the instruments acclimatise to the room of course I think that's very important of course they do yeah yeah. and the musicians yeah. acclimatise to the room and the environment and environment People, everybody, and everybody just yeah 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 de-stresses yeah yeah and we've yeah. dealt with any stresses we've dealt with any stresses yeah yeah we did yeah yeah and it was all done it's easy then very stresslessly yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
and then you're ready to record then aren't you you've got you've built that kind of thing you you've you've come to a point you've come to, well it's like you know you come to greet it don't you and then you you know where you are and I know that you know where you are and mm-hmm. you know that I know that you know this isn't <laughs> going to go on but you know what I'm saying we're on the same page yeah. and it's so important to have that relationship you know and to have those conversations and what what kind of fascinates me as well in, in just in a sense of learning is about what how you deal with when that's not happening I'm not talking about because I've you know we've I've been here and you've, you've seen me here working with people who are trying to find something and I'm just trying to find something for people and they don't really know what they're they can't get to the thing they're trying to get to and um, but that I'm not talking about I'm talking about when people are you know when you hear a drum sound up here and you think that's not happening yeah and you need to go down and say listen what this needs how do you how do you deal with that because that's is that tricky that is tricky yeah yeah but <laughs> Um, the best way to make the biggest difference in the studio is just having a conversation, really. Yeah. And trying things out. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, instead of trying to tweak something up here, or move, move or move a mic, or EQ, or compress anything, I'll, the first point of call is to go have a chat with the yeah. musician. Yeah, yeah. And I don't always know the answer. No, no. No, no. Um, and neither does the musician. No, but um, well, they wouldn't know because they'd have done that if they'd, hmm. you know. They're probably quite fixed, yep. you know, because we're quite attached to. You know. Yeah, I found this as well in this day and age we're in now, where a lot of drummers have home studios. Yeah, they get the good thing is they get very used to recording and the red light and they yeah they don't yeah yeah and the uh, click or no click they get very used to that yeah yeah but then they also get set in their ways that's the problem yeah yeah as far as being a musician and a recording musician yeah and coming into a different environment yeah and doing doing, and getting the best out of what that environment's got to offer yeah yeah and their snare drum might sound a particular way at home yeah and it's not going to sound like that here no No. for better or worse yeah yeah so the, the like so the the thing the the thing that the, when I first came here that was was really great learning curve was I came here that first session with a couple of quite nice snare drums mm. and realised quite quickly that um, they weren't that great they were mm. all right yeah but one of the snare drums I used for most of that recording ended up being the snare drum you said was almost unrecordable because it was too too good too good yeah yeah and I've been trying to buy one ever since yeah I nearly bought one actually as you know that Australia, one in Australia but yeah. it got, he just went he just went silent on me I think he sold someone else but okay. we nearly got to a price and it was a cracked one like yours okay. but it hadn't cracked since he, he'd bought it and he yeah. had the original box so it had never changed and yours oh, wow. is the same isn't yeah, it never changed but that's a really interesting and then there was and there's a couple of other songs where you come downstairs and say no none of these are working and you pulled out some beautiful old what was it and it was tuned really low with an animal skin on it uh, with a hide head or and it just sounded really like was it agricultural is yeah the was best it way like an antique drum or was yeah. it a, was it an actual I can't remember which drum it was, but it was really like I wouldn't have looked at it in a month of Sundays because of 
because I'm so like you know I'm such a snob in my own way and it, you know it has to be a modern draw and it would have to be yeah. this kind and you were like no this would be the thing we put it on and, and then okay you came up here and you said and Tom said I know which one it was that was my Gretsch broadcaster yeah from 1934 yeah yeah that yeah. one but it had a the head also, it was very, the tuning was like, it was so low and, but it was the vibe, you know, it had the vibe. That was a great drum. Yeah, you not got that anymore then. Yeah, I've got that. Oh, you still that's got not that. not going anyway. No. Yeah, yeah, I thought you might still have that. I think that's, that's a solid shell drum, see? Is it? So that was made by Gretsch when they were owned by Slingerland. Oh, right. Okay. I believe so. So it's more like a Radio King. More like a Radio King. But yeah, not quite. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. but as a, as a kind of sound, it's something I just wouldn't have considered, you know, because I'd have just tried to make my Black Beauty or one of the other drums, I'd have just tried to tune it down and tried to get to that. And you can't, can you, sometimes? And that's why it's great to have. If you come to a place like... Because one of the great things if you come here, and... I'm just checking I should say this or not. The drums are included in the... Yeah. Yeah, sorry. Everything's included. Yeah, because yeah. some studios it's not. You have to pay extra. And rehearsal studios like that, oh, it's an extra £5 for the drum kit. It's an extra £5 for a Dixon smashed-up piece of crap that you can't tune and, you know, hasn't had new heads on for 10 years. No, mm. that's the dog shit. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, when you come here, that, that was the thing when I... Uh, first came here was that all the stuff is available to use and you've got some amazing guitars here and basses amazing and keyboards it's all ma- well maintained all really well maintained amazing amps I mean the story mm. of just these two things here that, that Laney the story of that Laney you were telling me today is like that's fucking history you know yeah it right, sat right in front of us here the yeah. stories and then there's this snare drum I was playing of yours today yes so this is a great story <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to talk about the price by the way we oh, could not go into that but yeah. you can talk about the story behind the drum because it's a brilliant story so it's a Ludwig Black Beauty yes. from 1976 yes made for and used by Barrett Teams yes who was who played drums with Louis Armstrong yeah in his, yeah. La, in his latter kind of yeah yeah, yeah, yeah in the Louis Armstrong yeah. All-Stars Louis Armstrong I think he, he played with him in in the 50s yeah yeah but that drum was right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So this is, yeah. yeah 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 sorry but it's the, belonged yeah, to yeah, yeah, yeah. Barrett Deems yeah he was made and, and he played it with he played it with Mr Armstrong with himself, all sorts of people yeah. all sorts of people but yeah the, just the fact that but you know just thinking about the history of jazz and Larry Armstrong and the fact that it's connected and I got to play it today yeah it's pretty it's, special vibe that you know it's a beautiful drum so absolutely beautiful super sensitive yeah. black beauty yeah and it's yeah. engraved it's, in, it's so stunning you sent me pictures didn't you yeah <laughs> I've just bought this and I was like well I'm coming I'm going to try it and it was you know yeah what a drum it's really great yeah really interesting snare mechanism a little bit tricky yeah they are quite yeah. hard to get yeah. to grips with not for everyone I don't you think change, you put new snares on you've still got snares. all the originals it's got the originals and the original heads haven't you yeah yeah and the original case yeah that's a beautiful thing yeah leather case it is beautiful yeah yeah and it's in very good condition that case actually yeah you know for its age and the drums the drum is mint yeah it's unbelievable yeah yeah it's if the hoops and everything it's like it's been so well looked after. But there's a kind of story, isn't there, about 
how it got here. It's a great little story of, of yes. not of chance, but of just those. When you unravel things, everything's a bit like yeah. that, I suppose, isn't it? Well, there's a local legend called Pete James, yes. who's got a huge yeah. look. I think I'm going to see Meet tomorrow. Aren't yeah, we will go see Pete. Yeah, and he taught he, he taught a guy uh, Jack Amblin, who I taught at Leeds. Yeah, yeah, he's a, he's a, he, and Jack's real specialist stylistically as well as gear in playing yeah. a certain era of drums and he and he dresses and he's very into his minis isn't he, he Jack? Is, yeah. yeah yeah he's into his cars and stuff and and he was a very nice lad he, he was at Leeds for three years he was a pop drummer and I, I got the pleasure of t- you know spend a, a year with him and he was he was good good student and worked hard you know but he kind of got back in got into this kind of era playing didn't he and he's very good at it yeah. and he has all the gear and he has all the the waistcoats and yeah yeah, the yeah. tap dancing very and he does the tap dancing that. yeah so yeah good very good tap dancer yeah yeah so it's all he's all it's a, it's a proper authentic thing with jack you know mm-hmm. it's, it's lovely yeah and the minis <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah old minis i mean i don't mean bmw minis i mean proper minis yeah yeah but so 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 yeah, Pete Jack's old yeah. tutor. Legend. His favourite drummer was Barrett Deems. Of course. And Pete was at the Chicago drum show. Yes. And he held as you do. The, the, a door for this person walking in <laughs> to the consignment area, I think it's called. Yeah. And he saw this tag that said Barrett Deems. So he helped this pers- person, being gentleman he is. Yeah, old lady. Old lady come in. Yeah, yeah. And he saw the snare drum. Yeah. He's like, oh, I'd love to buy this. Can you give me 10 minutes whilst I run back to the hotel and grab some cash? And wow. when he came back, she'd sold all the drum kits and everything else, all the cymbals had gone, but she was there waiting for him to return for the snare drum. She kept the snare drum for him, so he ended up getting that snare drum. And then he brought it back to Wales. And he and he preserved it, didn't he? Yeah. He didn't play it or anything. He, he just put it in his collection. And put it in his collection. And he's got an amazing collection, hasn't he? And, it's, and he's got loads of stuff for sale, hasn't he? He's selling everything, yeah. Everything, yeah, yeah. So, you know, if you're into that kind of thing, it, uh, and he's got some rare stuff, you were telling me. Oh, yes, yeah. Pink oyster drums and pink oyster, yeah. yeah. Black oysters from '61, yeah. same as Ringo. Yeah, we're going tomorrow. That's yeah. all that's left now is the, yeah. the pink oysters, the black oysters, and yeah, some yeah. chrome over brass and chrome. Yeah, well, we can talk about because this will go out in the future, so no one's going to get in before I get there. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, what we're going to look at tomorrow, mate? I may, it may belong to me by the time this gets this goes out. We'll see. You know, it's an early one as well. It's an early so it's, one. Yeah, it's an older mechanism and yeah, yeah, got smaller wheels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'm kind of, I'm slightly excited about that. Yeah, there may be a stumbling block that I might be, but we won't talk about that. It involves ready cash. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, special snare drum. Special snare drum. But that, but yeah. that, that Gretsch broadcaster we were just yes. talking about, yeah, that yeah, also yeah. belonged to Gilson Lavis. Of course, and that's also the connection to the. Noble and Cooley Noble and Cool the snare drum which is belonged to Gilson and he played that snare drum in yeah. Squeeze, Squeeze. that's right yeah. which is, must be on records which then. was the cause of a lot of uh, tinnitus in the band apparently yeah I bet it was yeah yeah because it's uh, for anyone who doesn't know about this it's made out of the Zildjian symbol alloy isn't it is, yeah. I don't know if it's which, which one it is B, B whatever 20 or 12 I don't know they're all different 
but it's basically they made in conjunction with Zildjian they made these snare drums didn't they they made a limited amount of them in around what 1980 I think, 90 I think mine was 89 89 yeah yeah it's that kind of period isn't it mm. and the thing that's really interesting about and there's some five there's some five inch deep ones as well aren't there yeah later I think later yeah and I nearly there was one in America that was for sale and it was beautiful it yeah. was in very good condition but kind of ribbed ends yeah that. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, it's not the it's not the vibe. The six and a half's the vibe. The yeah. one that you've got is that absolute dog's fucking. It is steaming. Just just with a simple fifty seven on it, it sounds like your finished process. It's unbelievable. It does literally sound. It sounds like it's been through every beautiful EQ and compression and everything. And here it is, pristine. And it's nothing. You've done nothing to it yeah. almost. I remember when we were, I was recording every single tune. It was like because I bought when I did Tom McRae's uh, "Did I Sleep in Mr. Border" album. We did it at um, the old studio that people used to come to in Wales, up in North Wales, Brindewin. Brindewin, yeah. yeah, which was a famous studio, for, especially for a lot of Manchester musicians because it's only down the A55. Oh. It's because near Bangor, isn't it? Yeah, near Menai and stuff, and so it's a very easy place to get to. This is quite a bit more. It's quite a bit further down here yeah. because, of, because of the road network, you know. Phenomenal drive, by the way. I love it. I love coming down here. I, I, I love coming down here for the music, but I love coming... I love. Dri- I think I said to you on Sunday is I love driving here, but I also love driving home because yeah. <laughs> no one likes going home, do they? But yeah. I actually do enjoy... Just up to up to the uh, up to the M fifty three, and then it's dog shit after that. But but you know, going back up through Baller and all that, it's so beautiful, mm. you know. But a lot of Manchester musicians, and they had a real reputation, was Brindoon because it's only down the A fifty five, two hours, and it's a and it's a residential. It was residential. Yeah, it's on its own, its own private gate. You go in there, you were locked away from the world. And it was a nice room. It was a beautiful room, you know, and all that stuff. So was that chapel-like or not? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it had... Yeah, it was chapel. It was very... Yeah, yeah, but all on one level. Yeah. You know, and, and when I went there, I was very lucky. This was my first kind of thing of, of borrowing... Of using a Black Beauty with the original 80s die-cast hoops. Because my friend Lee Mullen uh, bought a... Has a very very nice eighties with diecast hoops. That's from, it's from LA. I don't. There's a John Robinson connection. I don't know what. I don't know if, whether it was one of his. I'm not sure. But Louis Conti's is a very good friend of his. He's also a godfather to his his son, Jack, and. Um, I think that snare drum, he's got some very nice snare drums. He's got Coliseum mm-hmm. and he's got all kinds of stuff, Lee, real beautiful stuff. A lot of it he doesn't play because he keeps it in his lockup, you know. But when I did that session, he said to me, Oh, you can, yeah, mate, borrow this snare. It was great, you know. And I was like, Oh, I've got me, I had my, um, I had my Crav then. I had this Gretsch solid, walnut solid shell thing which I got rid of in the end because I realised how, it was a very nice drum, but I realised how kind of average and vanilla it was really yeah you know but um yeah it was uh this black beauty had the die casts and he had this little weird moon gel dampening sausage thing on it Hmm. which and so when we started recording first track i had had a dw noonan 24 by 14 bass drum and had the DW uh, bass drum. And we were swapping the bass drums all the time. We were swapping the toms all the time. The one thing that never swapped for the whole recording was the snare drum. Yeah. And 
when I went home, I said to Lee, I said, can I buy it off you? And he said, no. He said, but you can borrow it anytime you like. I said, I don't want to borrow it. I want it. So then I was on a quest then to try and find... So I bought my Black Beauty, which is an anniversary drum. It's very average, 2009, something special. But mm. then, I, and then he, Lee found for me a pair of original 80s um, patent-pending die-cast hoops. Ah. Yeah, so they went on that drum and it sounded really good, you know. Hoops make a huge difference. They make a massive difference. Even, yeah, yeah. even the same type, but thicker. Yeah. Like um, on my Ludwig 402... Oh, yeah, you got 402, haven't you? Yeah, so yeah. the triple flange hoops. Triple flange, yeah, yeah. I swapped them out for some Noble and Cooley triple flange hoops, oh, which are slightly thicker. right. And that's made that 402 better than than any other 402 I've heard. Oh, really? It's solid. It's just made that's it so much more consistent and focused. So, so the overtone is slightly less then. Yeah. Yeah, because that's the thing, isn't it? That's what you're trying to achieve. Because those big die casts on the Black Beauty, they sort of get rid of most of, but they you know, have a lot of bottom end. Yeah. And and sound engineers love it. When I, when we did one of the tours with Tom, we had, um, I can't remember the guy's name, the engineer, really nice guy, and he loved that snare drum mm. for front of house. He said every night, he said, it's so easy, it just goes bop. And I was playing it kind of rim shot very consistently, you know, just doing the same thing with it, not trying too hard. But... It was interesting when I came here and used it on that session, never played it. Never used it on a single... I think maybe I used it on one tune. Yeah, I think we did. Yeah, but you've got one with triple flange, haven't you? A Black Beauty with triple flange. No. No, no, it's not. It's a... It's a isn't it a superphonic or a... I've got a 400. Got a 400. 402. Yeah. We used... But and we used the Zillagen a lot. What was the six and a half? We used, what's your six and a half? It's the Zillagen. You, you had another one under the six and a half at the time, which I'm sure I had just triple flange hoops on, which... That would have been the 402 It then. was the 402, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a six, because it's a six, And you've got, have you got a five, the 400? 400 is a five. It's a five, yeah, yeah. Five yeah. and a half, yeah. Yeah, yeah, five Whatever and a half, yeah, sorry, yeah, five and a half. The smaller one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it was the 402, because I, I think he used that maybe on one uh, tuned quite low, I think. I'm a big fan of yeah. metal Ludwig snares. Yeah. They sound like records. They do. Yeah, yeah. And so this this Noonan one I've got today, that's a seamed, so it's two-piece, because mm-hmm. the, the Black Beauty is a single piece, aren't they? This one's two joined, but it sounds pretty... Very good. does, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. For this music, you know... Well, just for a Black Beauty, it sounded... Very good. Yeah, yeah. And it's not a black beauty. Yeah. And it was less than three hundred pounds. But it was second hand. Um but yeah, yeah, so yeah, it's really fat all that stuff is so fascinating. Those different those things where you walk into a situation and you end up playing none of you know, you don't I mean I brought the crab, never got it out of the case, you know, and you just I think I do think you've got to be open to the thing of you yeah. know, I brought. I've got this beautiful new ride. I've just bought Barry. Barry Race knew he saw me coming when I went to see him. He knew I was going to buy it off him. He did me a very good price, by the way. So I forgive you, Barry. I love you, Barry. Thank you. But <laughs> he, he knew I was going to buy it. And actually, he came to a gig I was playing in in Newcastle. He came to watch it, and I was playing it on the gig. And he said, "I regret selling you that ride." And he said, "I should have had it for myself." I said, "You don't need another." 
I mean, you know, this is the guy with three jags, you know. And, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and, and he's got Johnny's last crab. The last wow. one he made. He's got that in his office. I played it when I was up there. Yeah, it's, it's special. He doesn't use it. No. He's, but it's Johnny's last drum and it's signed inside. Yeah, yeah, it's, and it's beautiful. But it's, it's like one of those, a bit, oh, when you see it, you know. So he doesn't, yeah, he doesn't need a, another, uh, you know, he got medium ride. But I didn't, I didn't use it. Didn't use it for this. No, he didn't, did he? Never, never even, didn't even feel like I needed to get it out of the, out of the tin, you know, so to speak. So, yeah, be open to the, um, be open to the, to the vibe of, of what the situation has to offer and listen. Yeah, but yeah, be open that your go-tos aren't, might not work. That's a very good way of putting it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's probably I mean I feel like we haven't talked about a hundred things I wanted to talk about but I feel like we talked about enough yeah <laughs> yeah thanks for doing this pleasure yeah I really appreciate it and yeah. it was alright wasn't it yeah we'll yeah. do it again do yeah. part two we do part two because yeah. I'd, with Stuart McCallum when we when I did mine with Stuart he was um, he asked to do a part two <laughs> Checking it's still recording. It's still recording, yeah, because yeah, yeah, the screen went off about two hours ago yeah. or an hour and a half ago, didn't it? Yeah, Stuart said to me, could we do a second one? Because, you know, and uh, and it was funny the one I did with Stuart because I went to his house and it was during Manchester, the Northwest had this lockdown at midnight where they were, and I was in his garden and mm. I had to get out of his garden by midnight. Oh, wow. And we sat outside his house with a Zoom recorder and we did the second one in his garden. It was really good. We, we spoke for about three hours, actually, but I edited down. Yeah. And then, but I had to get in the car by, by, midnight, by midnight. And it was, it was 5 to 12 when we finished recording. <laughs> and I was like, love you, mate. Cheers, mate. Bye. It's a nice one, mate. And just got, you know, and then we're out on the street having a chat and I got in my car and drove off. But, yeah, it was weird times. Yeah, yeah. Cause, and that was the other thing. We were going to do one, but I didn't want to do one by Zoom. I, I said I didn't want to do that because I it's, don't do Zoom. No, it's no. just awful, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I'd like to do Rich Cass again. You know, Rich do do Rich in person. He's mm-hmm. such a lovely guy, and he's he's got this very nice Scottish voice. You know, he's very he's a very calm human being when he talks. Very thoughtful, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd much rather be in the same room as him. You know, yeah, I think he'd yeah. end up sort of floating. It's much like this experience being here. You end up just everything calms down, you know. It's uh, like Sunday night. I didn't sleep very well, and I, fa- I could feel all the all the kind of anxiety of things that are all sort of just sorting themselves out. The Monday morning, it was like, ah, everything's okay, it's you know. Good. And the sound came together. Yeah, so brilliant. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot. Thank yeah. you. Well, we had a great session as well, didn't we? Had a really good session. Got a great some great music recorded it sounds really mega I'm really really proud of it actually even without even it's not even been mixed yet we've got to talk about mixing haven't we yeah but even as it is even as it is yeah yeah great yeah yeah even that thing of um, we had lunch today and we'd finished recording and then we came back after lunch and you'd already done a bit of and it was just like oh that sounds better yeah. <laughs> with this kind of thing you just have to be careful not to mess it up yeah you've already got it yeah don't go too far yeah 
yeah, yeah. Small things make a big difference then. Yeah, you yeah. You don't have to save anything. Yeah. Because you've worked hard getting the tones. Yeah, yeah. By yeah. having conversations and moving mics. By having those conversations, yeah, moving things around. Yeah, capturing it at the source as best you can. And then, and then just... Because I suppose, are you hearing, if there's certain sounds and tones that are slightly... Are you all, you're hearing that as it's recording about, aren't you? So you're kind of already thinking about what you're going to... Oh yeah, yeah. I'm not thinking I'm gonna. F- I'll fix that later. Yeah, absolutely not. No, you can. Like, we can sort that out now. Yeah, and not have to fix that later. Because it's like, because last night we were talking about mixing, weren't we? Mm. And um, and your your kind of. So this this thing is like it's. If you're a musician, you come into a situation. You're running a project because I'm kind of running this project because it's my band. You know, I'm taking mm-hmm. responsibility for the project, and you know the next stage is mixing and and just to understand that thing is you know it's um very much a relationship in the mixing thing isn't it and when you were talking about look there's a certain set of parameters here where i want to start from so can you allow me the space and time to start from them and it was like getting that understanding across you know? yeah yeah you know and it's like it's a kind of a relief for me because it's like i can just go when you're ready, we can have the next conversation. You know, yeah. I don't have to be like, you know, can we get it done now? You know, and uh, having not being impatient about things. You know, just having that kind of thing of to get to do a good job of it. It takes there's a process. Yeah, and you need to give things time, the time it deserves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's yeah, good to have yeah. space before you start mixing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what's just as, as a little last thing then your process with that. Your next stage with this project would be, I'll go home, you'll go back to, you'll be doing something on Thursday, you've got somebody in on Thursday I think for a day haven't you, doing something completely different I would imagine. Yeah and I started another album then on Saturday. And is that a long term? That's for a week then. That's a week, that's not too bad. No. Yeah but you have people there for ages sometimes Mm. don't you? What's the longest you've ever had anybody stay here? The longest band booking was 63 days. You and Jodie looked after everybody. So yeah. Jodie's uh, Owain's partner, phenomenal, yeah. beautiful singer-songwriter and a musician, but also a great uh, holistic massage and things. Mm-hmm. Also a wonderful human being. Yeah. It also helps you with the business as yeah. well. And She owns the studio as well. She owns the studio and it's a partnership and you feed us and look after us and do all the... And, and, mop up after us and everything it's great the vibe is a real beautiful thing and the cottage is right next door to here so it's all sort of you know it's lovely social vibe we had a barbecue on the first night and everything I'm just painting this idyllic picture people honestly if you want to get away and do record something properly this is the way to do it but anyway so you've had 60 odd days god that must have been intense that's great fun yeah after 10 days I feel like the sessions are longer than 10 days you really relax into it yeah yeah mega yeah that's a dream that red light goes away yeah yeah like even more so yeah 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 and you go down the rabbit hole yeah and come back up and you've got time for it yeah 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 see they're bigger budget records but yeah yeah not always a good thing but it is great to do yeah oh yeah the longest I did with Tom we did two weeks at Bryn Derwin and we just were all there. Tom and Brian and Amy and uh, maybe one of the Ollies was there longer. But we, me and Hammond and um, me and Hammond, 
Oh, this thing just me and Hammond were there for yeah two weeks, and that was mega because it was drum tracking every day. It was only to, we were only there to record the drums. Amazing. That, that was really one of the tracks on the album is Tom's original vocal when we track the drums. Mm-hmm. It's the original take actually. It kept it kept that vocal. That. Yeah, 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 because it had a vibe, and because the only reason why we knew is at the end he shouts one last time because he was just shouting last <laughs> time to say it was the last time. And we were, we were, we did all the drums in the morning, and in the afternoon they did the bass, and then they did some guitar because they had you know like the amps in the back room on eleven, yeah, getting that sound together. So they recorded all that stuff as well there, but Tom did most of the vocals and and some of the, all most of the acoustic guitars. He did all that back at home when he was living mm-hmm. in Somerset when he had his studio down there, but and they mixed it all somewhere else. Tom Lothman was the engineer who lived in London, I think. Tom did. He was a good engineer. And he was so patient like you. He just, you know, he just had that temperament. He just sat with the computer, worked his ass off, backed everything up all the time. Just had that work ethic of, you know, making sure everybody was, you know, was always in the room, helping set things up. And that, But that was the time thing. Having two weeks made a massive difference, yeah. you know. And, um, yeah, yeah, 60-odd days, that's the dream. It's a bit like when you go on holiday, though, isn't it? After yeah. day five, you relax and then you have to go home. Yeah. yeah if, you to, yeah. if you get to that yeah, point, yeah. you relax yeah. and then you can just keep doing it. I know. I always dread going away on holiday because I don't, I, I always find that first thing hard. And mm. I, I found Sunday night here, because I'm away from home, I find it hard. You know, I don't sleep well. I feel kind of a bit anxious and my head's all over the shop. But but as I've got older, things get much quicker into that slot because I kind of go older and I know what's going to happen here. Just like accept where we are and let's just get on with it, you know. But I still don't really like going on holidays. I'm not really a holiday person, so, mm-hmm. you know. But after four or five days, I do drop into it, you yeah. know. And, um, but, yeah, we, we were lucky to get into it really quickly, you know. Yeah, but, it's a uh, of a first time. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, so you're, yeah, so you're both here and you, you're running this business and... You know, and uh, oh yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. So between now and September, I've yeah, got, yeah. Well, I don't know, three or four records to make. Yes, and then because so you'll forget about this completely. I'll forget about which it. Which will be great. Which is, which is the point. Yes, this is the point. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it'll be here sooner than you know. Yeah, no, it will be. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah September's only three weeks away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll sit down with it. And yeah, and then we'll have a conversation. Yeah, I'll do what I feel is right. Yeah. Then I'll, then you can tell me what you think is right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll come to us. I mean, yeah. I, I'll, you know, what I've heard today is right, really, because yeah. it's got the character of, you know, and like Martin was super happy with the with the Hammond, the sound and everything, and he's happy with how his music's been played and everything. JT was made up with just the whole thing, you know, just the vibe of coming here and just. Mm-hmm. He, I'm not sure whether he was. You know, he was quite sure about it all, you know, but I think he's like, I think he'll come back yeah. with, with other people, you know. I hope he does. Yeah. I hope we, both of them do. We all know. had a good time, didn't we? We had a great time, and I'd love to come back with those guys and do another album maybe next year or something. We've got, I, I want to do, I want I want to do some live things with, with tenor sax. That's okay. the next thing, probably. We've got these gigs in the end of the year. We've got some gigs early next year. And the next thing we want to do, I've been playing with this, a little bit with this sax player called Alex Clark. She's like 23, she's mega. She's really cool person, really cool, funky, nice, you know, funky person and really easy to get along with. She's really good. 
I've been doing a few little things with her. Did a, did a trio thing in London with her with a really very good bass player called Andy Klein. We did a live gig and Andy recorded the gig. Brought all his recording gear and recorded the gig. And it sounds good actually. You know, I'll, I'll send you a copy. Yeah, of it. yeah, yeah. yeah he, he, he's not mixed it really, but yeah. he was really he was really pleased with it. And it was I was like freaking out because it was quite a stressful gig, and I was I was a bit all over the place and. Uh, and and Sebastian de Crom, my friend, it's his gig, and he he came into town and brought us into, and he was watching the gig, and I was quite nervous because he's a great drummer, and, it, and I wanted to do a good job for him because it was his gig, and and it was the room was fully booked res, reservations, uh-huh. and it was London and the Troubadour, you know, the true the history of the Troubadour and all yeah. that stuff, and anyway, we had a really nice gig. And I said to Alex, I said, I've got this new trio together. I want to do these little things. I want to bring in a tenor player. I said, would you be up for, you know. And she was like, yeah, yeah, I'd like to record that really, you know. And there's a couple of other really good tenor players. Tenor bass drums. And organ. And organ, great. Yeah, sorry, the same trio. Oh, with With, with tenor, tenor sax added great. on. Yeah, yeah, cool. that's the idea. And do some, probably do some gigs first and then maybe think about recording it. But there's a guy called Jeff Guntron. He's, a, he's from America. He lives in Manchester. He's a tenor player. He's fucking mega. I want to do something with Jeff, really, with this trio, you know, as well. So it's tricky. There's so many good people, you know. But they're the main two people I'd like to add on to this configuration. So we may come back and do that. But I want to make a piano trio album here. Yes. This is my next piano dream. is incredible. Yeah, Les Chisnell, Pete Turner. But um, yeah, I've got to try and I've got to try and find time to do that, and I've got to persuade Les. You know, I've, me and Les, we've talked about making making a piano trio album for twenty years. You know, since like ninety, God knows when. So wait, waiting three years for me to have a chat isn't too bad. No, it's all long term. You know, everything comes to you, yeah. you know, in time. So, brill. Let's go and have a twenty-five past ten. That's great. Right. Thanks for a bottle of wine. Yeah, well, for a bottle of wine, yeah, or for a beer. Mega, amazing. Thank you, Dave. Yeah, thank you.